Good morning, beloved. Welcome back. Episode number 48. We're coming up on 50 episodes. I never thought I would see the day that I could stick to something for so long. I really appreciate all you being here. Special shout out to the mods that make all this possible. And to all of you who suffered with me through the 24-hour fast, I cannot tell you guys how proud of you I am. It was rough last night, I'll tell you. I had a temptation that was that was more, almost more than I was able to, to withstand. So I had woke up in the morning, just like you guys, had some water and resolved to get through my 24 hour fast. And I was doing good, missed my breakfast, uh, no problems. Uh, went live stream, no problems. And then I had to run down to the hardware store uh, to grab a couple things. And I jumped in my truck and what do you think was waiting for me right in the center console? One of my favorite indulgences that I, I maybe buy once every two or three years. And I don't know why I bought it the other day. It was a weakness of mine, but it was a sleeve of old-fashioned, hostess old-fashioned donuts. Now, I know, I know. I know I shouldn't be eating those things, but I, it caught me at a weak moment, and I, and I had eaten two of them, and I forgot about them and left them sitting there right in the cab in that box. I jumped in the cab after lunch when I was good and hungry and I looked at those donuts <laughs> and I looked at them and I looked at them and I didn't eat one but boy oh boy but that was about one of the hardest things I've ever done I, I almost and I should have when I first noticed them I should have uh, threw them in the trash uh, and then poured like uh, some oil or old dirty water or something on them so I wouldn't be tempted to fish them out of the trash I, I've been known to do that <laughs> so but I did not, and I made it, and was a little hungry going to bed, and woke up this morning, Mrs. W, man, you cannot go wrong with Tradcon. She brought me coffee in bed and a cinnamon cardamom roll, so I started off my day right. So, shout out to you guys for doing that. It was, um, it's, uh, I'm proud of you. We did it, we all did it together. And we have now six days, but we don't have to do it until next Wednesday. I have been asked if we could bring back the lighting of the lantern, or at least an equivalent. And I have to agree, man, I did enjoy that custom. Like Mr. Rogers, didn't he used to change his shoes or put his sweater on? I think we should do it. So the problem I ran into with the lantern, and Dr. Prepper made me aware of this, he said, you're probably not feeling very good because you're breathing those toxic vapors coming off that lantern for two and three hours sitting right there on the chopping block. So we'll just, we'll, we'll put it up over there out of the way. So I think we'll go back to it. I don't know what the alternative is that would be as cool, there isn't one because there's nothing as good as real flame. Here we go. I have another important announcement. Man, things are organically happening. It's like ask and you shall receive. Regarding radios, we talked a little bit about radios yesterday. Let me give you the inside scoop. Let, let me focus on what I'm doing here. Whenever I, I'm of two minds on something, that's when the spillage happens. We have to focus and concentrate on the process. Who's glad to see the lighting of the lantern back, gentlemen? Give me sevens in the chat if you agree. I'll do everything here properly. No spilling. Do we have fuel in there? No, it's empty.
concentrate. As I'm so fond of saying, you're watching a man operating at the very limits of his abilities. I stole that from Top Gear. Jeremy Clarkson was on one of the specials. Jeremy Clarkson was trying to add, I believe it was transmission fluid to one of his cars. And I think James May said that as he was concentrating very hard to get the transmission fluid into the vehicle. So far, so good. I forgot how many pumps. Was it, was it 20? I think it's 20, 20 pumps. I still haven't bought the right fuel yet. And I was at the hardware store yesterday. I always forget that. Twenty pumps. Seems like my lighter's been moved. But we're always prepared around here. Always prepared until we're not. This is my least favorite part of the day. Now it's even closer to my face. Okay, that's pretty good. Nothing terrible has happened so far. Okay, let's put this up over here. Are you gonna do your thing? You see it, it's gotta burn off all that excess fuel so it starts, starts, stops flaming. Yeah, face level, Dr. Prepper has, yeah. We went from bad to worse. Oh, it's a temperamental beast, this thing. Of all the things I own, this is among the worst. I think it's gotta be my fuel, a dirty old fuel. All right, we're gonna go with that. We're gonna put it up here, out of sight. Out of mind. Okay, success, gentlemen. No one caught on fire. All is well. All right, so I've got some good news, uh, very exciting news to share with you guys today. On the radio front, now we talked about this a little bit yesterday how frustrating the whole radio thing is if you don't, if you're not that guy. Uh, they're very complicated. Which one do I get? You know, you go online, you get excited, you get geeked out about a bowfang and then you go online and watch YouTube videos, and then you meet Ham Radio Guy, and he tells you what a POS it is. Don't listen to Ham Radio Guy. We actually have a decent radio guy in our midst who is stepping up, let me get all my information here, stepping up to provide a turnkey solution for us. Now, what we're gonna propose, and I had a call with Overton this morning about it, and what he's kind of been putting together, Overton, can you put in my um, super chat box, can you give me the, uh, the name 
of uh, our radio friends company. I'm sorry, I forgot. I didn't uh, didn't prep that. Throw that up in there. So what what we what we're going to propose to do here, and I gave Overton the the go ahead to get started on this, is we're going to put together a three radio package. It's going to be turnkey. That's what I found to be the best. That's what I have. I have a small, like a little tactical pouch, and the three radios fit in there. You take the antenna off, they fit in there nicely, and that works really good because your friends are not going to be prepared. They're not pro-ho, and they're going to be caught lacking. If they do have a radio, it won't be programmed. So here's what we're, going to propose, what we're trying to put together. We're going to put together a three radio kit of the Bofangs with uh, the extended power battery, so it's going to have more power on it. And also, we're going to be able to program these for your area. If you can provide your, I imagine you provide your address or your zip code, and we'll put in all of the frequencies for you, so you don't have to do it. So you can have your emergency services, uh, you can listen to, you know, whatever, whatever the package we put together. So that's going to be super awesome, right? Evan, excuse, thank you, sorry about that. Evan is from Radios Made Easy. I'm gonna give, he sent me an email yesterday. I'm gonna give him a call. Overton spoke with him, I believe, yesterday, and we're gonna finalize this whole deal. I think we should go ahead with it. Is this something you'd be interested in? But it doesn't stop there. The three radios programmed for you to your areas, so you'll be able to listen um, and you don't have to do anything. And also, we're gonna um, tie in with some guys and get hopefully get a USA made pouch and in the pouch is going to have also we're going to do a quick start guide and I'm hoping that Evan can put this together for us. We'll get together as a group and figure what are the critical functions that we need to know. Proho has a lot of things going on he doesn't have time to learn radios so we need to be able to have something that's so simple that if you haven't broke into these for a year or so you could open it up charge your batteries Look at the cheat sheet really quickly. I'd like to keep it very simple on some sort of a, maybe even a laminated card. <clears throat> It'll have the basic functions on it. How to program it, how to scan, how to lock it out, how to turn the flashlight on. You know, we're gonna keep it simple. <laughs> we're gonna keep it simple for us because that's the way it works for us. We have other things going on and we need to be able to have things simple. And not only that, what we're also hoping to do, there should be a spot for the morale patch on the front of the bag. And so we're gonna do our first ever one-off at Wrangler Star patch uh, that will come with that as well. So you get the whole package. Let me know in the chat with sevens if this is something that you would be interested in doing. If you would be interested in purchasing this, a three radio kit with a USA bag, ready to go, quick start guide, extended batteries, um, and, and the morale patch, the whole deal. I think, I think it's pretty good. Um, I want to support Evan in his small business if I can. Um, we're not doing this to, to cut a fat hog or make a big profit off of anyone. Uh, the worker's worth his wage. Everyone needs to make a little bit for it. But uh, I think we can figure something out that's very reasonable and fair to all involved and make that available to you. But I think that would be great. Even, really, even the programming, to be honest, is somewhat daunting. Even if you do buy one of these and you buy the cable and you go download the chirps and all of that, you know, there's a learning curve and, you know, it's, 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 it's difficult. It's just difficult. So I'm super, super stoked about that. Um, our friend Evan, excuse me, our friend Evan, make that possible. All right. All right. Let us jump into it. Was there anything else? Anything else? I'm trying to think of that if I needed any more house cleaning items. No, no. 
All right, let's jump into it here. As you see, we have a new backdrop, move things around a little bit, tried to get things to set up a little bit easier, give myself a little bit more room. Mama Kitty was getting a little hot too close to the fire and jumping down, so she told me she'd prefer to be over here. So this is what we have. All right, so shout out to Evan and to Overton for putting that together. We have a brand new member, Paleo52. Shout out to you, Paleo. Glad to have you here. Thank you very much for becoming a member. He asks, what do you think about the Greater Idaho Movement? Now, the Greater Idaho Movement, if I understand it correctly, what's really behind it are there's a huge disconnect between rural folks in this country, and this is going to be kind of maybe kind of interesting to our European subscribers, if you think America is all the same. What, what you can lose perspective of when it comes to America as an outsider is just how big it is. It's, it's, it's massive. You know, our, our states are the size of your countries, just to give you some perspective how big it is. Of course, there's going to be very different cultures. Now, I've broken them down. It's quite simple. You know, it's easy to get a handle on. You have West Coast, which are pretty much all the same. How would I describe West Coast man? Um, high maintenance. Um, he likes his luxuries. Uh, he doesn't get up too early. Uh, and he eats healthy food. <laughs> um, then you have um, Southern Man. Yeah, I don't know much about Southern Man uh, other than he likes to hunt and fish. And then you have Texas, which is kind of its own category. Don't mix up Tex Texas Man with Southern Man. He will correct you. He is his own. Texas is a place of itself. It's, it's bigger than, it's as big as three or four states put together. So it's kind of its own country. So Texas Man, he's all right. He's a good dude. And then Midwest Man, he's, he's into ag and farming and football. And then uh, a northern man uh, up, up there in Michigan, you know, he likes to drink. Uh, and um, he also likes football. And then there's an the East Coast man. And that kind of speaks for itself. And that basically sums it up. Maybe northeastern man. But he's so close to East Coast man that he's infected by it. I don't know. You can make an argument for Florida. But uh, we try not to talk too much about them. Anyway, that kind of sums the whole thing up for you. Now... The problem that we're running into is with the, the divergence of politics. The liberal, crazy liberal left-wing politics that's coming out of the East Coast and the West Coast is, is really coming out of a very small area. It's coming out of the rural areas. It's coming out of the urban areas, the city. And they have very different values that are conflicting with the values of those of us who live out in the country. It's so far apart. The gulf is so wide that we, we can't even... I mean, we can't even come to the table on anything at this point. We're, we're so opposed, whether that be um, re, or, um, gun rights, um, freedom of speech, uh, reproductive rights. I mean, we're just, there's no coming together. The, as I said, the goats and the sheep have been separated. So there's a lot of talk and a lot of move, movements that are getting some traction about the states actually seceding or re, the redrawing of borders. You know, I heard rumblings about this a few years ago, but I didn't think too much of it. I just thought it was, you know, some internet nonsense. But man, it's starting to get traction, and there's more and more people talking about it. What I don't know, what I can't speak to, is, is what is the, how, who makes the decision? Does the state, you know, can a majority get together and make this decision? Could we actually change the map of the U.S. and have, uh, red states and, and blue states. I mean, it's hard to believe. I, I'm a little bit concerned about this. I was looking at the proposed line of uh, moving the border to east to encompass Idaho, parts of Oregon and Washington, the rural areas, and, and gather them all together in one happy 
right-wing family, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I think we would probably be on the on maybe on the wrong side of that. It's really close to us, so I don't know. I don't know. But um, goodness, I'll tell you what. I mean, I would uh, I would hate to consider moving. I, I mean, I, I thought that this was going to be the the forever place. But to be honest with you, you know, the state. Washington State is about to outlaw all semi-automatics, and that includes carbines, rifles, and pistols, shotguns, everything. That means your Ruger 1022 is now illegal. It's going to be you won't be able to buy it illegal. You know, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but that's what they're doing. So that's that's one of the problems. So the rest of the state, when Olympia over east, this liberal government is making these policies that affect all of us. Those of us who are out here in the country are like, hold on a minute, we didn't want this. this. You're not representing us. You don't represent us at all. You don't have any idea what's going on out here. And we are not going to have it. So if they continue to push the boundaries and, and trample upon our Second Amendment rights, then you're going to have um, more and more people behind this movement. I'm 100% behind it. I, I don't see any downside at all. The, the wild card is, would the feds allow this to happen? You know, that, that, I, that I would question. You know, they've got their entanglements. They've got, they've got their people in, in places that they need them to win the states. And that is all controlled. And if they, for them to give up that, to give up all of the power that they have, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how that would work, but I would be all for it. But I mean, it would be, let, let's say that they did it. Let's say that they moved the boundaries and we now have a greater Idaho, a new state or an arid area territory, whatever you call it. And they are really getting it done. They're passing uh, laws where uh, you don't have to have a license for concealed carry. They're passing laws, maybe even, they maybe you know, it would be cool to see them even um, shrug off the NFA. You know, is that possible? The NFA may be under attack soon as well. I think that it, I don't know that it can stand up to a Supreme Court if it were to take them. I don't think, it, it's, a, it's a system from a bygone era uh, that was implemented in the day of the Tommy gun uh, that is so antiquated and so ridiculous. And the fact that what really rubs us the wrong way is that they're trying to make policy, and their not, job is not to make policy. Policy is made at the, at the state level, at the federal level. But they, they seem to be handing down edicts and dictates and seem to think that they're sitting in, they have some sort of authority over this when they, they shouldn't even exist. But I'll tell you, beloved, if that happened, and I was on the outside looking into all of these new freedoms that were coming about, and lower taxes, and less regulation, less government interference, I would be hard-pressed not to move, to be honest with you, uh, to enjoy that. I support it from what little I know about it. Is it pie in, pie in the sky? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. We have um, a super chat from our friend Duster16. Shout out to you, Duster. Duster writes, uh, soon it's time to move to Idaho or push to create greater Idaho. May you try out the Smith & Wesson M&P 2.0. I see you like the grip angle. No, I don't like Smith & Wesson uh, pistols. I would never, I would never, no, I wouldn't buy one of those. It, I, I don't know that I ever said I like the grip angle on that. I don't even know the grip angle on that. But I, I can say in the defense of the Smith & Wesson pistols, when I took Mrs. W to her first pistol class, she, had, she came from a non-gun family. 
<clears throat> and she f felt uncomfortable having them around the house and not understanding, you know, she, she looked at them like they were snakes. If there was one sitting around on the counter or in a drawer, uh, you know, she didn't like that because she didn't understand it. We're often scared of the things we don't understand. So I enrolled her in a really great three-day course that, that I even took with her, and it started at the very, very basics, at the very beginning. And it was quite informative. And what the instructor did, and it was such a great class, was he, he took all of the major um, handguns that you would come across, from um, single-action revolver, double-action revolver, um, striker-fired, like a Glock or S&P. Uh, there were um, uh, 1911. Um, you know, and I think even like a double action, like a, a Beretta 92. It was a whole, that ran the whole gamut. And at the end of the class, at the end of the class, all of the students, which were mostly women, were able, when, when the instructor at the range laid all of the, right, the, the pistols down, I think there were six of them. At the beginning, these girls didn't know anything, any difference. They couldn't, they couldn't have picked it up, they couldn't have loaded it, couldn't have done anything. By the end of the class, they were able to pick each one up individually safely load it, rounds on target, safely unload it, make it safe, put it down, and move on to the next one. Pretty good skill set to have, you know, to, to, for loved ones that, that don't know. So we got to shoot a lot of different handguns, and Mrs. Trouble, Mrs. W was having difficulty with um, some of them over others, and she found that she liked the M&P. There was, uh, there, they rented handguns there and, and you could try out different things and we tried several things with her she was having some trouble with it because her hands are small or something I don't remember what it was but she really liked the M&P uh, that was that was her choice and she shot it very well but I won't I won't be changing I'm uh, I'll, I'll I'm I'm stuck with Glock that's what I do but I will check it out thank you for that brother we have a super chat from Evan welcome Evan Evan speak of the devil he's our radio guy from radios made easy Evan says, I'm honored to partner with you on the radio package. This will be a game changer for lowering the barrier to entry for folks that ham snobs have not helped. Yeah, there you go, right there. Leave it to Proho to come up with a simple solution that the ham guys have mucked up and haven't been able to figure out forever. You know what I think it is? Is it's gatekeeping. It's gatekeeping. I, I get that, man. When, when you learn something new or you get involved in something like when I was trying to break into wildland firefighting, I have never in my life experienced gatekeeping like that. Goodness, it was, first off, there's no information online. It's like everything is kept verbally, communicated verbally the old way, and everything in the fire service is like 50 years ago. Like still, like forms on triplicate, <laughs> you know, when you feel everything on paper, old school radios, old, you know, just, it just moves slowly. They figured out what, what works. And I think, I think by and large that we just like that. Once you get involved in it and you're working with the old stuff that hasn't changed, it works, works well. Why mess with it? Everyone already has it. We're all on the same page. It's actually quite nice. But when I was trying to break into that, they have something, how you advance, it's, it's set up to keep, keep a man down. It's set up to, so that the people on top can really carefully control who, raises up, who rises up to the top and gets to play, who gets to play the fire game. And it's controlled heavily by the National Fire Service. So when you start, you get your certification, you get your red card, you get your basic training, you know just enough where you probably won't kill yourself. 
uh, you start as a, like a firefighter two. I forget if it's one or two, but you st the basic level. For you to advance to the next level, you have to fill out what is, used to be a little task book. And the, and the task book would list on there, for you to go to the next level, you need to do this. You need to do this, you need to do this, and you can need to do this. And these, these are not things that you can go do on your own. These are things that you have to be in the right place at the right time for you to advance. And there's someone of authority over you has to have witnessed it and signed off on it personally. I even think on some of them you have to have two people sign off on this. So here you have, so I was very motivated to advance, right? So I had my tax, task book, even as a new firefighter, and I knew what I had to do to advance to the next level. And so I sought every opportunity. I would look through there and I would, so in the morning briefings, uh, let's say I needed to have a day of being a lookout for the division, division lookout, calling weather for the whole crew that day. There's a man or a woman that's given that task on a fire where, all right, we have the whole group. We're having our safety meeting. We're going to go into the forest right here and work. The fire's coming down here. We know the weather. We're going to have someone climb up to a high point, and their job all day is going to be sit up there and watch, watching the crew, watching the fire, eyes on everything, and then on the hour, calling, radio, calling weather. Why weather? Because the weather predicts fire movement. We can hear the weather and the humidity and the wind and the temperature and get a really good idea of what the fire is going to do. Is it going to take off? Is it going to, you know... Anyway, the lookout, that's his job. So that's one of the things that you have to do. You have to do that and do it properly and do it well. And then when you're done, you have to come down and have someone sign it off for you. And you've knocked that out so that you can apply the next year when you get everything done and hopefully start advancing. Well, what happens is, is, is um, they'll put something on there uh, that is very difficult uh, to, to achieve. And that only, the only way you would do it is almost as if someone like stuck their neck out and, and took you uh, in, under their wing and helped you to do it for you to sign these things off. There were things on my task book that just killed me. There was one thing that held me up forever. And it was actually becoming engine boss. Becoming engine boss, the one thing I could not get, and I looked at it, I'm like, how, the, how am I going to be able to get this? Is I actually had to be in charge of directing aircraft, like radioing to the pilot back and forth, directing air, aircraft for, for some sort of aircraft aviation, primarily bucket or water drops. I could not get it. Could not get it, could not get it, because who would give an opportunity to like that? Uh, they would give it, they would not. That's how, they, that's how they hold you back. That's how they keep you down. So you can be in there for years and years and you may not get that opportunity. You can't finish your check, checkoff book and you can't advance. So that's a classic, classic example of gatekeeping. Gatekeeping is also done, I think, with the ham radio guys. Um, they have put the work in. They're kind of nerds anyway. They read technical manuals for fun, and they, uh, they think they're superior to everyone else because we don't particularly enjoy doing that. And so they make the barrier high to entry. So what we're hoping to do here, thank you, Evan. A shout out to Evan Dixon is he is not cut from that cloth. So he's going to help us put this together, the quick start guide. Pre-programming, man, that's the thing. That's something I wasn't even expecting until Evan offered to do that. And that's, that's really, really nice. That's, that's a lot of, there'd be a lot of work for him, I'm sure. But he set up to do it and offered to do it. So you won't have to do anything. 
you'll be able to turn on your radio, you'll be able to scan and start picking up all of your local law enforcement's um, communication radio that isn't encrypted. Um, but um, yeah, I'd also be interested in talking with you, Evan, about uh, maybe you know or can provide a resource uh, to how does one get listen in on encrypted traffic that's law enforcement or emergency services is using in your area. I know they, I've heard they have to allow you access to it. I'm sure they've buried it somewhere in a hard to find website just to make it a little bit more inconvenient. Just a further, just more division and separation between cops and the people that they are supposed to serve and protect, which is a farce and a joke. Remember, taxation is theft and cops don't trust a cop ever, ever, ever. Don't talk to them. Don't give them any more information than you absolutely have to. They are not on your side. They're the ones that are going to be our problem, our big problem in the coming future. They will be the ones enforcing the illegal and unconstitutional regulations of a runaway and corrupt government. They will be their, their, their toadies. The good ones have already quit. That's the way I look at it. The bad ones, by and large, are still there. And the ones that aren't bad are complicit because they know the bad ones and they still take the paycheck. So I have no sympathy for them whatsoever. I do not support them. They're a criminal gang in my opinion. We have a super chat, <clears throat> but thank you, Evan. Appreciate that. I look forward to talking to you. We'll get together either today or tomorrow. We have a super chat from our friend, Dr. Prepper. Shout out to Dr. Prepper. He writes, I was thinking of a 22 caliber AR-15 as a cheap practice rifle for handling and my, for my son. What do you think about this model brand M&P? You know, I, I did one of those. <clears throat> Actually, I, I quite enjoyed it. I think that that's a great idea. Uh, when I bought my very first AR, I didn't know anything about them. And I, was, uh, I had my uh, Jeep parts business, and a guy came in, and he wanted some parts. Uh, and he didn't have the money, and he said, would you be willing to trade for an AR-15? And I said, well, I think so. Yeah, I don't, I don't have one of those. I had a basic idea what it was, very basic. He said, well, I build them. I'll, I'll build one for you. So he built up uh, a Bushmaster lower, an old one, and some random parts, you know, kind of a Frankenstein gun. And that was the first one uh, that I got. Well, ammo, this must, was it around, maybe around the Obama time or something? I don't remember. But I think ammo was expensive. No, I know what it was. Uh, the place that we had to shoot, 22 we could get away with. It wasn't so invasive. It wasn't too loud to bother people. We weren't, weren't carried, worried about it carrying too far and over-penetrating, and it was a lot cheaper. And so my friends and I, what we did is we bought, um, we bought you can buy a bolt, a 22-bolt insert that replaces your bolt carrier group on your standard AR, and then a proprietary magazine, and that way you can shoot 22, because 5.56, uh, it is basically 22 caliber. So it's hard to believe that one's so small and one's so much bigger that they're the same, but you can shoot them out of the same barrel. And we did that for a long time. We shot thousands of rounds out of those, and it was really a great way to train because we had our normal rifle that we were used to uh, with the sling and the optics and all that. All we had to do is just to swap, uh, swap out that bolt carrier group and change the magazines. Even the magazines were the same size. So you could, we could use our plate carriers and such. And we had a really, really great time of doing that. We set up a course through the woods and we would 
run around there and shoot and practice and train. And it was, it was really wonderful. Uh, they were not, <coughs> these were not overly reliable. There were a lot of malfunctions with them. You know, maybe, probably a malfunction in every magazine or so, one or two. But I've heard that the dedicated ones, like Dr. Prepper's talking about, the M&Ps, I think that those are much more reliable. I think it's a great idea. Very, it's a great idea because you have the same controls. You run the same controls, your bolt lock uh, release, uh, your safety magazine release, everything's going to be the same, the way they break down, the way that they load. Uh, great idea, yeah. And they're not very, super affordable. You know what would be kind of cool, Dr. Prepper, is my, um, my friend and fellow war band member who works at the gun store was telling me that, that they have... Um, I don't know what they cost, but M and not M and P, H and K makes a, a a 22 version of the 416, which would that be kind of cool, wouldn't it? <laughs> so they're probably ridiculous expensive. He 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 pulled the meanest trick on me. So we him and I have both agreed that if we had our we ask each other, you know, what what would be your dream gun if money was no object? This would be your go-to-war main battle rifle, battle gun, right? What would it be? And I said, no question, an H&K 416. That would be my number one choice. But those things are, if you can find them, are, now correct me if I'm wrong over, Tim, but I'm guessing they're about 10 grand or so for one of those, uh, maybe more. So that's, that's, I don't want one that bad. So he, he came in and, uh, or came by a while back, and he's like, he's like bro, we got two, Four sixteens in the shop. Do you want one? Like, mm, <laughs> brand new ones in at the shop. You know he could get them for me at cost. He said one one problem. Um, they're both in twenty two caliber. So, so I do know that they make them. So you might check into that. That might be kind of cool. Yeah, great idea. I would do it. Definitely do it. And it's gonna be a lot cheaper to shoot. We have a members a super chat from K Bowers eight one one one. Shout out to you, K. Sure, appreciate that. He's been with us for two months. He says, my local emergency channels are encrypted. Workaround. Yeah, well, I will, I will check in. I will check on that. When, we're, when we do the conference call, I'll figure out. And I'll, I'll, ask, Ms., I'll ask my manservant, Jariah, as well. He is actively, he knows all about that. So uh, we'll make that available to you. Yeah. I don't know about your area, but at least we can probably get you some resources and, and find out. Yeah, they should not be, you know, I, I would, if I was an attorney with a lot of time on my hands, I would uh, be very interested to look into the law and to see if they're legally able to do that. Um, nothing would give me more joy than making them get rid of all those encrypted radios and go back to open channels. That would be a win, wouldn't it? A win for the people? The people... Don't get very many wins these days. We get very few wins. It seems like all we're doing is taking L's. When's the last time we've taken? We've got a win. I can't remember a win. It's been some time. We have a brand new member, Jordan Brandle. Jordan Brandle, welcome, 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 welcome. And James Monith or Monty, a new member. Monty writes, "How would you feel about?" A Brit emerging to Greater Idaho. Emerging. Immigrating. Immigrating. Read. Uh, 
You know, we're, we're all about Brits over here. Uh, we are um, Anglophiles. I've, I've always been an Anglophile. I've always had good experience with British people. I think it would be great. Man, that would, how stoked would you be? You would be out of your mind uh, when you rolled over here and went to an Idaho gun store and could just take your pick off of anything you wanted, all the things you ever dreamed about. It would be pretty good, man. I would like to be there with you at the gun store when you get to do that, when you get to purchase your first G19X for the first time. That would be pretty awesome. I support it. I support it. We have a super chat from our friends Max Roberts. Shout out to you, Max. Max has been with us for three years. Goodness, shout out to you. I, I, I'm lacking, man. I, I'm supposed to put you... I, I've got, we've got... We went over 1,000 members... And we've got to create the new emoji, the new emoji. Some, some people gave me some recommendations, but they're long gone now. So do this one more time. I'll get it done. Get it done this week. Tell me what you'd like to have for the next emoji. What's that going to be? Uh, so reach out to the middlemen, and uh, I'll make that for you. Members only emoji. We have unlocked it. Max writes, for a pro hoe in Iowa, considering how expensive pro saws are, would one saw like a 362 be best or two saws like a 261 and a 462? Which first? Oh, man, that's a tough, that's a tough question right there. Um, I guess it, it, it would depend. Are you a casual user? Are you just using it, breaking it out maybe in the spring, maybe in the fall? maybe cutting a little firewood, you're not relying upon firewood. Let's say you're cutting less than a cord or less than a couple cords, uh, or you just want to have it for emergency or use or so. One, one saw in the mid-range like that 362 would be, a, would, be, would be wise. I would even say, you know, it, it, you don't need to go with a pro saw if you're not really relying upon it, like those of us who heat with wood. I wouldn't be opposed to going with with one of the the lower end saws, like a like a the rancher or the is it the the boss rancher? What's the other one? Husky's got one, and Still's got one. One's the rancher and the farm boss. Rancher and the farm boss. The, that's a good a good saw. I know that's a good saw because I spent two weeks behind one on a fire. I was with a municipal department who didn't spring for the good stuff or didn't have the money for the good stuff, and that's what they had on our engines. And I was somewhat dismayed when I opened the box, and that's what I had to deal with. I'm used to dealing with bigger professional saws. But I ran the guts out of that saw, and it worked flawlessly, not a problem. Never overheated, and I was running it 12 hours a day in really hot environment, really difficult environment, and brushing, and not a problem. And it worked flawlessly. I had a, really had a new respect for those saws. That was Still's version, which I don't remember. Is that the farm boss or the rancher? I think maybe, I don't know. It doesn't make any difference. That's a good option, man. You get them for, the, for a good price. Uh, you get a, a case. You get a bar, chain. You get, uh, I think you even get a couple wedge or two, and you get your uh, tool. You, know, you get everything you need to go and to work. And it's, you know, probably in the five or $600 range, I, th I think, if memory serves. That's a good option to go with. Now, if you are doing some real work like let's say you're doing three cords four five ten cords a year some of our friends up in our northern man you know he does ten cords a year up there it gets cold some of them 12 some of them even more that's a lot of wood and that's some of that's hardwood just to give you an idea how much they burn 
But northern man, rather than insulate his house properly, he just burns lots of wood because they live in those old drafty houses, single-pane windows. You know how they are up there. Um, you need to have two saws if you have the means, uh, especially if you're felling. If you're going to take the day off, you know, we don't have a lot of days off. Proho's pretty busy. So if you're going to take the day off, you want to have a good experience, and you're going to maybe even take your kids up there, go with your buddies. You don't want to go up there and get a saw pinched in, in a bad buck or get a saw pinched uh, because you had a tree that you're felling sit back on the hinge uh, and pinch your bar. So I, I've, the second, hand, second saw is often useful to liberate the saw that you got pinched in a bind or in a pinch in some way. Uh, the other thing is they just, things happen to them. They, just, they break or they won't start. You know, you, two-stroke engines are notorious for that. So to have a backup uh, where you can keep working and keep going is, is really important as well. So <clears throat> for those two reasons, and not only that, but having a big saw for doing big heavy bucking or when you're cutting down at the bowl or you're doing felling or you need to throw, sling a big bar is really nice. You know, we have to have that out here. Our trees are big. You know, it's not uncommon for us to cut down trees that are <clears throat> three, four, five foot diameter at the butt. You have to have a big saw to do that. But that big saw can be pretty laborious and difficult when you're all day on it, especially as a tall guy when you're limbing, bending over with it. Just the weight of it, it really tears you up. It's hard to hold that weight off the body. So that's when having a small saw, like the 262 with a, a 26 inch bar on it, uh, is really, really nice that you can reach down there and keep your back straight and have that nice nimble saw to work with. Not only that, but you're going to have, if you're teaching, if you have kids, if you have boys or girls that you want to teach how to do this, it's, it's nice for them to have a smaller saw to work with. You can do everything you need to do with a bigger saw, 462, 500i. Those now are so light and powerful with lightweight bars. Most guys, even East, East Coast guys, should be able to handle that. <clears throat> And then you have a second saw, it's going to be smaller and more appropriate <clears throat> for, for smaller, younger people. Or maybe you might even want a, your girlfriend or your wife out there. So in having two saws, you're a lot more productive. It's a lot nicer to go get firewood and brush and do lo that sort of logging when you can have one guy felling and another guy right behind you doing the limbing. So if you know who you are, if you're doing that sort of work, and doing a lot, you know, doing cutting a lot of firewood, then then two saws is pretty essential. Most firewood cutters, all all loggers that you see heading up the hill from here have two or three saws, and all real firewood cutters that go up there always have two saws. Almost always have two saws as well. But yeah, it's a good question. All good choices. The two sixty one, four sixty two, man, that's that's really the one two punch. If you want to, if you want to know the, the if you want to have the good stuff, that, those are the two saws right there. But that's $2,000 also. We have a member message from our friend Gaelic Lands. Welcome, Gaelic. It's good to see you back. Gaelic Lands has a question, and he's been a member with us for two months. Shout out to you. He says, loving, Cody, loving the live streams, would, be better, would it be better to build a 10.5 SBR via from a Form 1 than waiting a year to buy one Form 4? Oh man, I'm at a disadvantage here. What is can, Overton? Can you throw me a little definition of what the Forum 4 is? I'm not familiar with that. Uh, I would like to speak on this, but I don't know. Would it be better to build a 10.5 SBR via Forum 1 
than building a Tem5 waiting a year to buy one from a Form 4. Why would you have to wait a year for a Form 4? I, don't, I guess I don't know what a Form 4 is. I, I wish I could speak to that Gaelic. I don't know. If Overton can give me just a, like a quick little briefing that I can comprehend here, uh, I'll definitely speak to that, but, uh, or someone can, but I don't know. I'll definitely have an opinion <laughs> one way or another. But um, yeah, 10.5, uh, if you're going to do a 10.5, I would do a 10.3. Crane, the Crane Company, uh, U.S. Navy Special, I don't know what it stands for, Special Operations. They're the ones that have developed a lot of these um, niche um, weapon systems. Uh, like I think they did like the SAS or the Mark 12 and the Mark 18. You know, they have done a lot of research on this. You know, they have the, the full weight of the U.S. federal government behind them, um, the special forces military, you know, tr working and, and, and test, testing these things in the worst possible environments. And they have come up with West weapon systems that are exceedingly reliable. Now, that's not to say that if you go to Bravo Company and they offer... 10.5 and 11.5 and the 13.2 or 7 or the 14, whatever that is, that that's not going to be fine. But in contrast, in comparison, I just don't see that they would have the resources to put the R&D in that, that Crane has with, um, with the Mark 18. They put a lot of work into that when they developed that for the Navy. And also, when you're getting into these niche uh, Mark 18 is not niche anymore, but these niche weapon systems, you want to make sure that you, you know, go to, go to a, the place like Crane and really try to copy what they did. Look at things like, um, uh, what's the gas port size? You know, that's all needs to happen. What, what buffer tube spring, buffer, tube, buffer do they recommend? You know, the two or the three, you know, is it going to be suppressed or not suppressed? You know, all... All of that stuff all comes into play to build a reliable system. And also, you know, you have to look at these weapon systems all uh, as a whole, uh, including the ammunition. I, you know, I know dirt shooters don't think about this. I didn't think about this when I was a dirt shooter either. My, my ammunition choice was, was purely selected on price. What is available and, what's, and what can I get for cheap? That's what I shoot. And whether it be 55 grain or 77 grain made no difference to me. I'm just shooting dirt, right? But when you're looking at these things, if you want to do it properly and you want to build a Mark 18 or SBR like that, I would really look at it as a weapon system. You know, that, that Mark 18 by Crane was designed to work with that Horn, is it Hornady? The Hornady 77 grain um, o o open tip match, OTM. And that is elite, that's, that's a weapon system. A carbine that is designed around a particular ammunition to have a particular effect. When the Mark 18 was first introduced into, and some of the SEALs were using it in Iraq and kicking in doors and, and shooting bad guys with them, they were not happy uh, with the stopping power of it, for, with the normal ammunition that they were using. It was, uh, I don't remember the details if it wasn't tumbling or it wasn't, it was, it was something about it. It was, it, they would shoot guys and they would still be fighting. You know, it wasn't putting them down like immediately, like right now. <clears throat> and if memory serves, these guys got a hold of some of that special 77 grain open tip match, that match grade ammunition that was, be, that was developed, I believe, for the Mark 12, which is a, 
is it 18 or a 20 inch, that would be a designated marksman rifle in 5.56. That was made by Knight's Armament, specifically, you know, uh, under contract. Uh, you know, just a super, super reliable uh, precision 5.56. And it was developed to have this special ammunition, you know, the 77 grain OT open tip match. Well, these guys, I don't know how it came about, but, but they got a hold of it or started using it in the Mark 18s and it completely changed the game. It's absolutely devastating um, for stopping people out of that 10-3 barrel. With the correct gas port, with that ammunition, look at that as a whole system and build, I would build around that. I mean, you can, if you're that guy that you like to experiment when you're doing hand loads, you know, you're, you're beyond anything that I'm telling you right here. I'm just telling you what I've learned from someone that was a former dirt shooter uh, that is now someone that wants to have something that's as reliable and operates properly. So I would look at that. I would, I would definitely look at the 10-3. You know, get yourself a good Daniel defense barrel. Mark 12 gas block. You know, that's really the foundation, a good BCG. And, um, and then start from there, man, and you got it. But I do not know what that form is. I do not know. Oh, we have a little explanation here. So Luke tells me that the ATF's Form 4 is an application for tax-paid transfer of registration of a firearm. It is used whenever you are buying an NFA firearm that already exists, not making one. Oh, I see what you're saying. Oh, it takes a year to do that. I'm a big proponent uh, from, for building your own. If you're going to do it right, if you're, if you're not going to get the tools and you're going to just cheap out and you just want to put together a Frankenstein gun that may or may not be reliable, and this is going to be your primary defender, I would recommend against it. You, you know the type of guy. You know your personality. Do you have the attention to detail? I mean, I know it's easy. It's simple. You watch the videos. You think, yeah, I can do this, and I can buy a few tools on Amazon and do this, and that's all very true. But what I've learned as a former dirt shooter is that the devil is in the details, man. It's, it's, when you take a piece of equipment, whether it be a carbine or a dirt bike or a snow bike, what I have learned in the past, what I did is I went, I went in half cocked with a little bit of information, thought that I knew better than the dudes that do it day in and day out, only to be, wait, be disappointed. Spending money foolishly on things that I thought would be good thinking that I could reinvent the wheel because I'm clever and I watched a bunch of YouTube videos, that has never been the case. And it's always, always, always ended in disappointment. You know, there's a lot to this stuff, man. You have a lot of things going on. You've got timing and you've got, I mean, I just can't, can't get into all, all the stuff. And, and when, you, when you really start to understand how complicated the process is to get that bullet fire, firing properly and reliably out that barrel, you will look at Eugene Stoner uh, and see him as the true genius that he was. Absolutely an extraordinary genius. He was able to come up with that, and it was completely an original idea. I mean, it's, it's depressing when you think that you're clever and you look at a man like that and you realize how little and how, how poor your skills really are compared to a true genius like that. To make something reliable and functional and as good as it can be, it's all about the details. It's a thousand little things that work together for the common goal of greatness. That's what you find. If you 
are going to build it yourself, this is the answer I would give you. Uh, I would, you can do that, absolutely. But you're going to have to put the work in. And if you don't have the time to put the work in and really geek out on this stuff, the easy way to go about it is to look to the professionals. What was the original Mark 18 made up? It's easy to find. You can go to the cloner sites and they will have detailed lists of the Mod 1, the Mod, you know, the Mod O, the Mod 1, Mod 2, Mod 2, whatever. Detailed list of every single part that Crane spec'd out on that and you can copy that and build that according. Exactly like that. Now you don't have to get everything. You know, those have been around for a while and there's going to be some things on there that are somewhat antiquated that you could probably improve upon. You know, like little things like QD slings. You know, they didn't have the, the Mod 2, I think, doesn't have the QD straps. You know, it has something different. But if you just follow that for the build from the wrist to rail, uh, I think it's 0, 076 gas port size, uh, to the cold hammer forge barrel, uh, to the Mark 12 low profile gas block, bolt carrier BCG, Colt upper receiver, uh, Raptor radian charging handle, um, Knight's Armament sights, uh, Knight's Armament flash hider. I mean, it's going to be super good. And it's all that stuff has been proven to work together perfectly. So that's what I would recommend you do. If you don't want to do that, then file the form, wait, get something that's made by a reputable company, something good, you know, a DD, a, a, a DD Mark 18 is a, is a skookum chucher, man. It's a, it's a good one. Uh, but you could build the same thing yourself. Uh, but just, just follow the recipe is what I'm saying. Follow the recipe. My, what I, I'll t just share a story with you on, on not reinventing the wheel. I had my, when I bought my, my uh, Husky, my 300 two-stroke, my dirt bike, my TE300. I was recommended that there was a man not too far from here that builds bikes for this area. He's been doing it a long time. He's an ex-professional racer, and that's what he does. He's a retired engineer, and he's that guy. He knows, he lives and breathes this thing. His shop is immaculate, and he, he won't work for just anyone, and he won't compromise. If you bring a bike to him, it needs, he'll only work on KTMs and Huskies, and he will only works on new stuff. And if it's dirty, he will send you out. You will bring your bike immaculate, clean, ready to be worked on, and you don't have any say what he does. Uh, you tell him what your budget is, and he will tell him, these are the parts that I use, and I only use the best. If there's anything better, I, w I would find it. You know, and so when I first, when I heard that, I thought, the arrogance, you know, on this guy. You know, he's not the only guy that knows dirt bikes and such, you know. I mean, so I, I went down there, and, and I kind of, kind of did it halfway, had him do a few things, and then there were some things that he recommended that I thought, no, I don't like that, I think I can do it better, and, and I did what I did. And, and then I got up into the real hard work the, the, at the end of the day, you know, when, when you're 90, 100 miles in with the boys and, and you're fighting for your life for hard enduro out there, and those little details start to matter, start to matter a great deal. And the little things that I did and, and rejected what he told me are falling off or breaking or not functioning properly or what have you and giving me problems and threatening my, my ability to get home that night. It took me a long time to finally come around to it, but the last time I was down there, I had to admit to him, I said, you know, it's so funny that I have come full circle on this, that 
many of the things that you had built, when you built this bike originally for me, to ride in the mountains, hard enduro, up in there, you know, it's kind of specific type of riding, I had either refused or I took off and changed for other things. I said, you know what, it's so funny that I've come full circle now that I've realized that I need to trust people that know what they're doing. That everything, the way that you originally set this bike up, it's all come back to that. All of my ideas, all my, all my theories and everything, long gone, um, sold, broken, in a parts box somewhere, and the bike sits in its original condition as he recommended that it should have been. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right there. So, you know, okay, I, I get it. I get it. You know, yes, if, if I, could I get to the point where I could build and spec out everything to build a machine as beautiful and perfect as what he does from his years of experience. Yeah, and I'm probably at that level now, but I'm seven years into it uh, and countless thousands of hours of, uh, of riding and racing. I've got 700 hours on the bike itself, you know, all over and racing and, and such. So, but um, trust the experts. That's what I'm getting at. Trust the experts on that, provided that they are experts. Uh, and then you will spend your money wisely and you'll spend it once. Thank you, Overton, for that clarification. Our friend Jamie's in the house. Welcome, Jamie. Jamie has been with us for two months. Jamie writes, love the live streams. Cody, I know it's not an easy thing to do, but there is something special about coming together. We all really appreciate it. No, I do too, Jamie, and I appreciate that. It, you know, to see your name on here, as well as the others, um, Jamie or Kyle or Overton or Dr. Prepper, you know, I, I'm not, I don't want to leave anyone out, but to see you guys coming back and in the chat and such, it's very encouraging to me. I, I really enjoy that. It's nice to see new comments and chats and new members, people coming in, but it really does make me feel good and warms the heart that you're coming back. And, and it, it, it does feel, it does feel like a, it does feel like a community. And it's small, you know, there's not a, there's not a ton of us here. Well, we got 500, you know, five, 600 around. That's a nice size, perfect size. I, I really enjoy it. But thank you, brother. I sure appreciate that. And I appreciate your faithfulness as well. We have a member message from Ty Guy. Welcome. Ty's been with us for two months now. He says, thoughts on battery-powered chainsaws. Yeah, you know, I have been, I've actually been considering um, looking into getting a different one. I've got one now. I've got the, I've got the big still, still, the big DeWalt with the big batteries. I'll, I'll tell you my experience with it. So we have had probably half a dozen or so occasions where we've had kind of a firewood cutting day where we've had multiple families come over, the kids are involved, Mrs. W puts her chaps, you know, she's involved on that. And that electric chainsaw is the one that the new users and a lot of the women and the, and the smaller people, they fight over it. She absolutely adores it, loves it. She does not like the, the gas. She doesn't like the noise. She doesn't like the complicated starting sequence. You know, we, we take this for granted, the, like, especially with two strokes. If you owned a two stroke, stroke, a big professional saw, you know that if you don't give it exactly what it wants and follow its rules, its starting sequence, then you'll flood it out and it will not start. And you'll be pulling the spark plug out and wasting 15, 20 minutes. You have to follow these procedures. And if you're not using these things all the time, are you going to remember that? Is, is Mrs. W going to remember how, what the starting sequence is for these saws that I showed her three, four years ago? She's not. You know, so it, it's, you know, it makes people, un, you know, they're just not comfortable with it. That's why everyone loves those electric saws. They're quiet, they're powerful, 
They don't have to start them, and they absolutely love them. And you, what you'll see is I'll put you know, all my saws out there, and everyone will grab the electric one. Oh, I like that electric one. The batteries last a long, long time. Um, they have good power. Uh, the build quality on the one that I have is a little bit sus. It's not super great. Like the chain tensioner is wobbly, but it's also one of the very first ones. And it's been, what, many years since that one was, was introduced. And I would imagine that they're a whole lot better now. Now I see Still's got a line as well. And I haven't even looked at one or laid hands on one. But we're getting ready. One of the, my favorite things to do is to, um, is we've got probably another couple months, month or two, uh, to start pushing in to the trails up on Fuji. Now that's all under six feet of snow right now, but it, it's, it's so fun. We get, the, we get the war band together and we get our bikes all rigged up with silky saws and we mount chainsaws. We have special mounts, mount chainsaws on the bikes on the front. And I'll, I'll do a video on that this week. I'm actually gonna fit uh, my chainsaw mount onto Jack's bike. So I'll do a, a video and show you how that works and how you can safely haul a chainsaw on a motorcycle, any motorcycle, anything with forks. It's a kind of a universal mount. It's, it's really cool. So what we do is we, we load up with the saws, all that, and then we head up uh, and then we start punching in and we go, ride the trails until we come to a down log. Some of these things are huge, you know, because those are, oh, there's a lot of old growth forests in there. We've run across logs that were seven feet through, huge logs. So it's almost an all day process for two or three guys just to clear that and the limbs and everything just to open up the trail. And so, and that's a very fun thing to do. It's, if, you want, if you work in the forest, there's a lot of opportunities for uh, volunteering if you like to do that sort of thing, and it, it's quite enjoyable. Uh, the Forest Service is not, well, they probably are squandering the funding that they, they get. Of course, you know, the funding that is allocated to any government agency like that, that originally would have went to the crews to keep open our national forests, to, to keep them properly managed so they don't catch, catch on fire and burn down to the ground, uh, to repairing bridges, trails, trailheads, signage, all that stuff. They don't seem to do that anymore. I just watch the Forest Service roads because I spend so much time on them up there. I just watch them just deteriorating, just getting worse and worse and worse, and nobody even, nobody um, doing anything about it. Nobody filling potholes. Nobody even clearing brush on them. It's actually kind of nice for us because some of these beautiful mountain paved roads that just went to these extraordinary places are no longer accessible by car because the vine maples have grown in to the point where there's only just a narrow strip where, the, where a motorcycle can ride through. So it might be, might, might be better. But I was told uh, a few years ago by a guy who was working as a ranger, he said, back when I started as a ranger in the 60s, the ratio for a U.S. Forest Service ranger of work in the field versus in the office was 90-10. Uh, they would spend 90% of their time out in the forest, managing, overseeing, you know, checking up on stuff, making, you know, finding lost hikers, all that sort of thing, everything that they did, all that cool stuff. He said, now it's, it's flipped. It's where 90% of our time is spent in the office filling out paperwork and forms and 10% if we ever go out there at all. I mean, I never see them. I spend way more time out there on their trails. I do a lot more work on their trails <laughs> than they do. 
And that's, that's really how it gets done. That's how, that's how it's happening, is private people. A lot of uh, the mountain bikers and a lot of the moto guys are actually going out there and even rebuilding the bridges because we use it. And that, that's just fine. You know, we, no, that's fine. I'm happy, happy to do it. But it just, it just points out the waste. You know the budget is massive. But instead of the money going to a streamlined organization that could to get it out into the forests and the trails and the recreational areas that people, Americans, pay for and want to use, it's all gobbled up in an administration and salaries and all sorts of positions that um, just move papers around. That's basically what's going on. So fine. But, you know, the question that comes, you know, there's a, there's a term that's been, I've been hearing more and more, and, and I'm going to adopt it as an official, <laughs> official proho term, and that's taxes or, taxation is theft. Taxation, so we have to pay it. We all know that. But there is an expectation. If we're going if, if to pay sales tax and state tax and highway tax, we expect there to be services. We expect that the roads are plowed. We expect that the potholes holes are, are filled. We expect that our bridges are not going to collapse underneath of us, you know, et cetera. The street lights, all that stuff. We expect that. What's happening in the city is the same way. You, you expect, you know, if you're going to pay, if you have a small business in Portland, and I had a small business in Portland, and the fees for water and sewer and the, the, the city taxes, I mean, they just went up and up and up. Every year they were just crazy, crazy high. So now people are starting to wake up to it. You know, people won't change their politics until it touches their pocketbook. And even if you're a hardcore leftist, when it starts touching your pocketbook or your wife's or your women's safety, your daughters and your wives, then you will eventually start to eat, maybe lift your head up and pay attention like, Something's wrong around here, right? Even they're starting to pay attention to it. When they're paying some of the highest taxes in the country and they have um, 15 vagrants peeing and smoking crack and shooting heroin on the stoop of their shop and no one will come and buy from them because they don't feel safe crossing the threshold. And yet they pay the taxes so that the streets are maintained, that the police are there, that the sidewalks are clear, and so that the taxes continue to go up and up and the services are not there, not happening. And that's when people start, we start, I mean, we're getting to the point where, you know, we have a legitimate gripe. If you're going to continue to raise taxes and, and, and extort, steal money from us, take taxes from us, and not provide uh, the services, then it seems to me that we're not, no longer obligated to pay this. And, you know, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about with the Forest Service. I wouldn't have a problem uh, if if the, all of the money allocated to the Forest Service that is no longer doing the work, all of that was shut off or, or that was taken away and uh, it was left up to the users. Why should a guy who lives in, in Portland who never uses the trails out on Mount Fuji, why should he be paying for that? I, I get all of that. You know, I mean, there's, there's some things that we need. I think we all need to be in the same boat together when it's under critical infrastructure. If we're talking utilities. We're talking gas mains. We're talking interstates. We're talking uh, bridges that benefit everyone crossing from state line or point A to point B. That's fine. But for things like that, 
if if it was just left, the burden was left to the the people that were using it. I wouldn't have a I wouldn't have a problem with that whatsoever. If that lowered taxes, but the problem is, is that the taxes are not being lowered. The taxes continue to be raised, and the services are taken away. So taxation is theft. Taxation is theft, and alcohol is poison. I'm trying to gather and collect these simple little sayings that that we can recite that remind us and help us uh, to see a clear picture. We have a super chat from Chase, our friend Chase Cormick. Oh, but to go back really quickly on that electric chainsaw. Next time I'm down at the steel dealership, I'm going to take a look at those. And if they look good to me, I might buy one and, uh, and I'll, I'll do a... I'll do a review on that. Actually, I'm hoping to have a 500i coming, um, and that would be a good time to kind of test the, do a little chainsaw testing. It'll be perfect. I'll, I'll take you guys up there on our first rides, and I'll, I will do a video on setting up the bike with a chainsaw. But it's a good day. It's fun. Uh, there might even be an opportunity if you are a moto guy um, in your in the area. We could always use an extra hand, but uh, I would need to vet you. I would need you to sign a, a non-disclosure agreement <laughs> or at least a, a, a pinky promise uh, that you wouldn't tell anyone where the area is. Uh, and uh, I would need to see um, a picture of your bike uh, from both sides. And that way I could determine whether you were serious or not. Because the war band is quite serious about our moto trips. Good question, though. Thank you. Thank you, Ty Guy. Chase McCormick. Super chat. He's been with us for two months. Chase says, my dad is pro-ho as, as far as prep, but he is a weak man in the family, and my mom is in charge. How do I overcome that influence and not become that? Identify it. Yeah, just, just identify it and, and see. I'm, you're, you're smart enough to, to not ask me, how can I make my dad become head of the, head of the household and, and put my mom, you know, get my mom back in check. That's not going to happen. You know, some relation, sometimes guys are just, they're just mirroring what they saw. I don't know what his parents are like, but that's often the case. Some guys uh, just lack confidence and um, because of childhood issues, I don't know what it is, but, but they, they marry a mother. They, they, they marry a mother, and, and, and you'll see this, these dominant women in these relationships where they'll, they'll take charge, you know. And I'm not casting stones at anyone. You know, we all have had traumas growing up. We've all had things happen to us that are, affect us in the way we do. We do things, I do things, you do things that we often scratch our head and wonder why. Why do I do this when I know this not to be the best way? I know this to be wrong. We're just, it, it's a lot of it is programming what we saw the impression, the, the, uh, what we were exposed to when we were little kids, um, and so on and so forth. But the fact that you have identified this, that you're here listening, and you see this, and you see the problem. The problem is, is those of us who are people of the book, we realize that, that the sexes have very different roles. God created us a certain way. He made man first, and then he made Eve, woman, as a helpmate to the man. And the man has the headship. That's, he's been given the authority. That's his, his authority, his responsibility to be the head of the household, to be the priest of the household. 
Women don't, a lot of modern women don't like to hear that. They chafe at that. They think that that's, that's, that's just the worst thing ever, sexist and misogyny and, and all the shaming language, language you know, whatever. It doesn't work anymore. But what they don't understand is that there's a burden to that. There's a burden of leadership. I have, uh, you know, I've had the opportunity of being leader of men um, in business, whether it be the construction site. When I was a construction superintendent, I was the head guy on the site. And I made, my, I made the calls. But I also understood that I was the first one there and the last one to leave. And that ultimately, I had to bear all the responsibility if, if, there, if there was a failure, a failure to deliver everything on time. It didn't make any difference as to what, whose fault it was. It was my fault. I, w I was the one in charge. It was my responsibility. And I worked with these guys. Same way I've had the opportunity to work with, to, to manage and be in charge of men on wildland fire and, and, and such. And, 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 you know, people will, on the, that are new or, or lower down the totem pole, actually higher in the totem pole, it's a misnomer. You know, the low man on the totem pole, that was the chief man. The least important was the high man. They got it backwards. But the, but the high man on the totem pole, when he's looking down at the, at the low man on the totem pole, We'll say, well, it must be nice. He's sitting up there in his truck and driving around and giving orders and doing this and that. What they don't understand is that you've been up at 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning doing paperwork for three hours, that you are the first one there, that you are there working late afterwards. You know, you're ultimately responsible. You will take the blame and your career will suffer if the crew fails. So there's a responsibility that is often not understood and looked at from those that are at the lower levels or, or coming up. You know, and that's very true with, with me. You know, I carry, there are some of you out there that are the sole providers for your household or have been. And understand, especially if you own your own business, you never have any real peace from that. It is a, it's, the, it's a nagging, it's, it's the, the wolf crying out outside, you know, the frozen tundra uh, crying out, ready to devour you the moment that you slip up or that you can't work. And that burden and that pressure is always in constant upon you. you know, and I look at that, you know, I, as I've told you, that I, I like the word, for husband, I like the word house band. A proho is a husband, or a house band, a house band of protection around his family. I'm the shield bearer for my family. My wife and both, both of us are. Mrs. W, I bought her a painting, um, it's a modern artist. It's not high art or anything, um, but I, I, it, it, was a very, it was a very strong image uh, that, I, that we hung in her laundry room. And uh, we hung that in her laundry room. And the picture, it, it's, a, it's an oil painting, I believe, of a woman who has her back uh, turned and she's shielding her child from, I think she has her hand up, she's shielding her, her child from um, uh, arrows. And the arrows are on fire, from fire, fiery darts, fiery arrows. And the child is safe in front of her. And the woman has a book out, which is the Bible, Scripture. And the woman is not only protecting this newborn, this, this toddler, but she's also educating it. She's pointing it to the true wisdom, which is God's book, the 66. And the most poignant part of it is, is that... in all stuck in her back and in her arm are these arrows. She's taking these arrows um, for the child so that the child is protected. It's a very powerful, powerful visual.
I saw another one. Well, I won't. I don't know if I could probably probably get in trouble if I talked about this. But but that that's the kind of the way I look at it. And and the overarching the umbrella the big umbrella is the man of the house, the husband. I'm the one that takes on that carries that burden, that responsibility, that pressure of making sure that there's food, making sure that there's money, uh, doing whatever I have to do, working however long I have to work to make sure that my family is provided for and safe and comfortable. That burden falls on no one other than me. And when you take on that responsibility as a man, that's, that's the way God designed things to be. And that's the way I decided to run my family, you know, according to that, that blueprint. But, you know, it, doesn't, it comes at a cost. You know, men die younger at earlier, at earlier ages than women do. Some people say, well, they do more dangerous things. They live harder. They take more risks. And all these things are true. That's true as well. But also, in that particular role, you know, the stress of life, the stress is a, is a killer as well, uh, of always, you know, being the one that's ultimately in charge. I have to step up. I can't just go do what I want to do. I have to make sure that my family's taken care of and provided for first. And that's the burden of leadership. And not all men want to do that. Not all men are able to do that. But just to answer your question, Chase, I mean, as far as advice to give you, I don't, you're, you're already on the right path. You've identified you don't like that. You see, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to assume that you're writing about this, that you, when you see your dad in that subservient position, that you, it, you lose some bit of respect for him. I, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not getting down on your dad you know, at all. I don't mean, mean that, but it's just kind of the way it is. If you had your choice, I'm assuming you would prefer that he would step up and, and be the spiritual leader, the, uh, the, a strong father figure in the house, take charge and, and make things happen if you had your choice. But the fact that you've identified it, you see it, you don't want to repeat it, um, you're safe. I don't need to give you any advice. Just um, one thing one thing you have to do, you know, I can speak from being married for, you know, I've been married for almost 20 years and I've, you know, I've had experience with, with women. They want to be, um, they want to have a strong man. They want to be led. They want to be, uh, they want to know that their man is in charge, um, that he's capable of looking after them, capable of looking after their offspring, no matter what they say. And there are outliers, but as a rule, if you want a woman to respect you and love you, this is what this is what they want. This is the best way. This is the way to build the best relationship, where you're going to have a, a woman that admires and, and re, at least it respects you, if nothing else. There is a term uh, that you, once you get married and you were around women for a while, that they do uh, that you need to be aware of. And it's called, it's a bit crass, but it's called an, an SHIT test. You've probably heard this term before. And girls will do this. Wives will do this. Where you may be slacking or lacking um, in your masculinity or your leadership roles. And they will sometimes give you a test. Try to provoke a fight. Try to do something. Things that are somewhat irrational because they're, what they're trying to do is they want to see is this the man that I married? Has he gotten soft on me? Or is this the man? And you need to check that when that happens. So if you find that, that she's being disrespectful in any way, I, it's not 
necessarily that there's anything wrong with her. She's testing you. She's keeping you on your toes, and you need to respond to that. And the older you get, the harder and harder it is to do. You get more and more comfortable, and you get lazier and start slacking a little bit and, and letting more responsibility and things fall upon her if she's willing to take it. You just need to ma just make sure you understand that. Make sure you maintain that, maintain your, your authority, your, your headship of your home, um, and you keep an eye out for this type of test and that you respond to it properly and check it. And, and check it, end it, nip it in the bud right there, um, exercise your masculinity, and um, move forward. But it's a beautiful thing when, when everyone is in their lane and working according to God's plan, and it's a, it's a great thing. But you'll be okay, Chase. You know, I did, the, I did the same thing. You know, my father had a lot of good qualities to him, but he had some qualities that, that, I, that were not good, that, that, were made, that could have been improved upon. And I did the same thing. You know, I, 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 um, but I have to warn you, this just came to mind, that I find myself in my weaker moments defaulting to those things that I, I grew up with. Lack of patience is one of them. My dad was not a patient man, especially when working with, with my sister and I. And that was a big problem. Um, like when I think back, that, that was a big problem. That was something that was, I didn't like working with him because of his anger and, the way, and his lack of um, patience. And I know that seeing that and growing up with that, when I get tired or really get frustrated that that's my default position, I fall back on that with my own children. And I hate that. I stop, I stop it, I've stopped it many times uh, as soon as I realized that this was happening and I had to stop and apologize. Like, I, let's start over, let's reset this. I didn't mean to lose my patience. I had no right to do this. You didn't do anything wrong. This is just my frustration. I'm just reacting in a way that I, I'm used to. This is what I saw, this was, this was how I was programmed as a, as a child. So you, you're going to be vulnerable to that, Chase, of that, that weakness. Um, so just know that. You know, that it's, it's a bit of a handicap that I have that I got from my dad. This is going to be a bit of a handicap that you got from your father. So just be aware of it and know it and just remember that to, to, do, to be the man that you need to be. You'll be, you'll be okay. You're here. And I'm sure your dad's got a lot of good things. If he's still with your mom, that's, that's, I mean, that's not nothing for sure. We have a new member, Joe D. La Rosa. Welcome. Welcome. Very happy to have you here. Thank you. And a super chat from Con Tramp. Welcome, Con. Thank you as well. We really appreciate your support. Thank you, Con. Our friend Kyle B. Kyle's been with us for a year now. Kyle says, Cody, I pray all this well. All is well. I'm not quite getting the QCB training I would like in my current organization. Any suggesting, any suggestion suggestions on where to look in the civilian world. So I'm assuming that you're, are you doing something professionally where you carry a firearm? I'm not getting the Q CQB, which is close quarters battle training, I would like in my current organization. Any suggestions on where you can look in the civilian world? Well, I, I don't have a ton of experience with that. Uh, um, I did one day of it uh, at Thunder Ranch. I would, um, highly recommend Thunder Ranch for this because they have a, an entire shoot house. Uh, 
They're located in Southern Oregon. If you go online, go, go online to Thunder Ranch and look at their calendar and they'll have a list of events uh, of what classes that they offer. But I went through, uh, uh, two, no, two times I've went through the shoot room uh, and it's quite good. Um, how to pie corners, how to uh, deal with doors, how to deal with obstacles, how to deal, they even have moving targets in there. It is top of the line, like really, really high quality training. I can't speak to anything other than that. I have no experience with it. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't carry a rifle professionally, um, but one thing that I have learned uh, from, from Clint and Heidi and, and the courses that I've taken is how to set up my own home as well. I don't know if this applies to you or not, but just, just for ProHo for, as an example, it's, a, it's really important that when you're looking at your house to, to uh, and you might do this now, is to start with your master bedroom and think about if I had to clear this house, if I had to get, if I heard breaking glass, let's say I heard a window break, it's 2 a.m., I just woke up out of slumber, uh, I'm sitting up in bed, what do I do? Did I, do I even know where it came from? Or did I just hear something and just feel something is off? Where are my kids? Are they next to me? Are they at the opposite end of the house? Are they upstairs? How many windows, how many access points do you have that it could come in there? Where could someone hide? You know, where are the light switches? That sort of thing. So one thing that you, know, you what might want to kind of do is, is to walk that scenario and, and to do it at night. You know, turn the lights off, wake up. Do you have shoes by your bed? Do you have clothing that would be suitable for going out and meeting maybe a violent or multi-violent criminals? You know, I follow some dudes that are real, um, some um, African-American guy YouTubers that, that are really a pro-Second Amendment guys. And they live in the worst, some of the worst hoods in the, in the country. And this is a real threat for them every single night. They feature on their YouTube channels, they follow this app which tracks all the break-ins. And, and what's happening right now in the cities, it's not really being reported on, is that these houses are being broken into by groups of men, sometimes up to seven deep. And they're getting really, really smart and they're also armed with long guns. We're not just talking about some random dude with a ski mask and a pry bar coming in that you're going to scare off by just showing up. These guys are, are, have been doing it for some time and they're getting good at it and they're coordinating. They're going around the house at every single entrance and they're making entrance together at one time. What if there's three or four of these dudes? And what if two or three of them are armed with shotguns or long guns? Are you prepared to deal with this sort of situation? You know, that's a tough one. Um, is it likely? Well, you know, it depends on the area where you live in. But in the area where these guys live in, it's highly likely. They've completely changed the way that they purchase firearms, the way that they set up their houses, you know, to deal with this, where everyone needs to be together, where they have to be able to protect one aperture, one door, and they don't have the ability, you know, they need to be up on the second story or whatever. But for you, just for, for normal people, you need to, to do that. Go through that scenario and get your family involved with it. What are you going to do? What about your wife? Let's say that you heard the breaking glass and you put your slippers on and you grab your Mark 18 and a flashlight and you, you head in to head up to the kids' room. 
You've just left her. Is she, what's her capabilities? Is she, is she defenseless? You know, is she going to be happy about sitting there not knowing what's going on while, while her man is gone? There's a lot of things to consider. Does she have a flashlight by her bed? Does she have the ability to communicate to you um, if you happen to go outside? So there's a lot of those things that a lot of us have never considered or thought about, and, and me as well, uh, that I learned from that close quarters combat course by just being around professionals uh, that give you things to think about. Um, other simple things, do you have dark spots or hidden areas uh, in rooms? If you were to walk out of your master, you know, would it be a good idea to put a mirror on the wall, a decorative mirror? It's not anything tactical. You build a sell it to your wife that you can glance out there and see dark spots or see areas that you can't get. Would it be a good idea at the end of the hallway to put a mirror so that you didn't have to pie and clear around a corner? Or what about a staircase? You know, could you put a mirror where you could see the upstairs that there's someone lurking or sitting there with a shotgun? You know, simple things can be done like that that can protect you. Um, and more so than ever, it's more important now than ever. But do a drill. You'll be surprised how unprepared you are to be woken out of a deep sleep. Uh, and if you don't really practice this, uh, you'll, be, you'll get caught lacking, man. And, and it could be a death sentence. And can you imagine after hearing this warning, if something, God forbid, would have happened to a loved one because you were not prepared? You know, you would never be able to forgive yourself. We have a super chat from our friend Jason Barr. Good to see you, Jason. Jason says, I literally just picked up my new Daniel Defense M4V7 tuned into Steam stream at the perfect time. Man, you are stoked. That is an excellent choice, by the way. I have one personally. A DDM4V7 M4V7 is probably my favorite. If I was going to go buy a 16-inch barrel, um, that's what I would get. That's what I have. Super, super skookum. Great barrel, great bolt carrier group, mid-length gas system, soft shooting, beautiful, beautiful gun. Excellent choice. That is going to be the DD, the Daniel Defense, the DDM4V7 is going to be the official Proho. 16-inch gun. There you go. How about that? Man, you're stoked. There's nothing better. You take it home and take it apart and wipe oil on it and then get online and look at all the stuff you want to bolt onto it. What I would bolt onto it first would be a Surefire Scout. Surefire Scout. You can decide if you want the mini or if you want to get the big one. If you get the big one, the two cell, I would recommend you get the dual fuel. It's going to be brighter, give you, it's nice to have options. You can still run the CR123s or you can run the big, the 26850 or whatever it is. I also saw on their site, I hadn't been on their site for a while, that they offer double A lights now. I was looking at their, all the scouts and what are those little skinny ones? Oh, they're double A. They've never offered that in the past. Double A is not a favorite of light builders because of the voltage and the poor power compared to a CR123 or an 18650. But just the convenience of it, man, you know, that, that really comes down to it. I, it was kind of interesting yesterday. Uh, I did, I just did kind of a fun video, a, a short video on, a, or I guess it was a long video, a video on how, uh, if I had to go, go on a scavenger run, like a, the Tarkov example, the video game, where you had to go out at night into the dystopian nightmare 
and try to gather resources from abandoned buildings without getting killed or shot. You know, like if, 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 if your family was depending upon this, or you were going out and you had to do this. I mean, it's, it's, it's a crazy scenario, but it's kind of fun to think about. I tried to cut out, when I was making decisions, cut out all of the all the cool high-speed gear and all that stuff that I would take and all of this stuff. And I'm like, realistically, if I was just a normal dude, you know, what would I take? And it really got down to this, the things that I was comfortable with, that I, how I set up when I was hunting. Because I knew it worked. I knew I could sneak up on game. I knew I could spend all day in the forest on foot in difficult terrain. I knew the contents that I had were sufficient. Uh, for all different types of weather. I just, I've, I've been in, I went to what was familiar. I went to what was comfortable. Yeah, do I try shoes I've not worn before or do I put on and wear what I've known to be good and it just works? Do I get my latest high-speed Arc'teryx jacket or do I put my old wool jacket on, which I just know to be, know to work, work is will keep me warm and every environment is going to be quieter. You know, it was, it, was, it was kind of interesting to me. I mean, I didn't really know what that loadout was going to look like until I actually did it. You know, am I going to wear leather gloves or am I going to wear mechanics gloves? Well, I would never wear leather gloves elk cutting. It wouldn't even be considered. I would have wore gloves with the finger cut out so I had good trigger, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, but that was kind of a fun exercise to do. And I would look at when you know when you're specking out that that DD4 M4V7. I'd look at it that same way. Just stick with what works and keep it really simple. Make it simple. Make it work. I've tried all of the pressure pads and the lights and all that stuff. You see all that stuff on there, and you kind of want to do that because it looks cool. But a lot of that stuff came about because of the lack of space of rails. Um, especially like on the Mark 18s where guys were having to put lights and IR designators and, and backup sites, you know, mandated by, because of the military, mandated to have a front sight if they needed it or not. Uh, and and it, solutions to problems on those things that developed that are not necessarily with us so much anymore. I got rid of all that stuff. There's just nothing wrong with a scout light mounted on the left side if you're a right-hand shooter with the push-button tail cap. That's pretty hard to beat. Uh, it's always going to work. It's not going to, you're not going to have a negligent discharge of light, and that's a real problem. That happens especially if you're moving around in, in debris and such. You definitely don't want that. So I would put a scout on there. Uh, on the left, I would put, um, as far as sights, depending upon your what optic you go with, but I would recommend you go with the Daniel Defense fixed sights. They are super, super light and super, super good, and they're always up. So I would go with those and at least a uh, lower one-third co-witness on the mount for your optic. Get that above those sights. I don't know about co-witnessing so much anymore. I, I'm using the taller mounts now. I went with the one-third co-witness, and that was fine, and now I'm shooting the tall mount, the Geisley mount, and me and the Warband members are switching to that, and we all really, really like it, especially now that we're working under night vision. But to be able to come up and have that, that heads up and that good peripheral vision uh, is very nice. And not only that, but when you're all crunched down and, and really turtled in on an AR, on a traditional site, on a true co-witness site, like Stoner set it up, you're really crunched in there, 
And it, just like the transition alone, like that you have to make if you come off the rifle to the handgun to be able to come up where, you know, where you're up in a, li lifted in a up position where you can see, where you're facing the enemy. You know, to go to this, to that, it, it's slow and it, it, it's like two different styles of shooting. I've really found that, that having that heads up and coming up and facing the enemy, you know, you want to face, face the enemy shoulder squared. You've got plates on, right? The plates are there to take the impact. If you're coming all at an angle, what's worse than getting shot through the side and getting a bullet through both lungs? That's, getting shot through the side is terrible. That's, that's, you're not going to survive that. It would be much better to, be, to take it straight on. Because even if it, you don't have armor, you think you're going to be smaller. And you are, if you're shooting this way. But you're also very, very vulnerable. What's going to go through there is going to pass through there and take everything out. Whereas if you square up to the enemy or to, to the threat, now you're presenting plates, front and center, as wide as they can be. You're protecting your flanks, your sides here. And you have a better peripheral vision from both sides for threat. If you do this, that sideways shooting, yeah, I've increased my periphery here you know, to, to the right-hand side, but I've completely turned it off. I've eliminated it to the left. Now, if a dude comes up from, from that side, I'm vulnerable. So getting in the habit of, of facing the threat upright with those tall mounts up to sights, I have good peripheral vision, both sides equal. It's going to cover the most area. I'm presenting plates, which are going to be, give it the maximum defense, my maximum defense, and having that tall sight, if I do drop the carbine for any reason or put it down and I come up to sights, I, I, my head's not moving. I'm always the same. I'm always moving forward. Move like you normally walk. Why do you think you're going to get into a stressful, dangerous situation with an adversary and you're going to change up some weird stance that you practice at the range? Why don't you just stick with what you know? You walk forward every day. You walk with your head up with good posture. Should we not shoot this way? Should we not come to sights this way? Or should we have something different? That's all I'm saying. I'm, I'm not the expert on this, but it just stands to reason. But that's what you do. You put the sight on there, or you put the, the scout light on there. You get yourself a good set of sights. Like I love the Daniel Defense fixed sights, the ones that don't fold down. Super awesome. A sling. Get like a sling. You can't go wrong with the Magpul MS1. Great sling, good price, 30, 40 bucks. And, uh, and a good optic. You know, T2, ACOG, lots of, lots of different options. The world is your oyster, or your budget is your oyster. We have a super chat. A new member, goodness, a new member from Kyle R. Welcome, Kyle. I am so happy to have you here. Thank you for supporting us. I got to get something good up to you members. I was, I was busy yesterday. I was hoping to get something up for you, but I'll, I'll, I'll take care of you. I'll make, I'll make you whole. We want to support our members around here. We have a uh, super chat from our friend Gamer Dave. Good to see you, Gamer. Gamer writes, hey, Cody, is it possible? Audacious suggestion. Hey, Cody, is it a possible audacious suggestion to read the odd or some of the regular messages, your stream, your choice, just thinking of others, friend? Yeah, and, and we do that, Gamer. Um, if you notice that Here's the problem. I'm out here fighting for my life, uh, doing the most difficult job in the world, talking uh, by myself for three hours, two to three hours. Um, it's difficult to do, and I, and I get 
nervous and it's easy to get confused and, and it doesn't look good when I'm trying to stop and scroll. So I'm trying to, to give everyone my attention 100%. And the only way that I'm able to do that is because of the middlemen and, and Overton are in the background helping me putting messages in front of me in a format that we've created uh, that makes it simple for me to read. You've seen my reading, right? I, I went to public school. I have, I have handicaps. So uh, what he does, uh, he'll put um, member messages uh, that are not super chats. So when I say we have a member message, that is something that he has curated. You know, he's watching the chat. Shout out to Overton. And he puts those up there, him and the other middlemen put them up to me if they're things, uh, good points are relevant to the discussion uh, that we're having. And so we do that, yeah. So a lot of them, I don't only just read super chats. I just ask those guys, and that's what they do, um, they pick out the stuff like that that's appropriate and put it up there. So uh, yeah, absolutely. So if it's good quality or germane to the conversation, uh, then it will be up there. But yeah, that's a good question. I, I, I think that that's, I, I agree with you. I don't like, I don't like straight pay to play either. We have a super chat from Ethan Carter. Welcome, Ethan. Thank you very much for your generosity. Ethan says, I'm about to get out of the military. Do you think the skills and discipline I've learned will help, help me at all in the civilian world? I was indirect fire infant, I was an indirect fire infantry mortarman. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't, obviously there's not a lot of private positions as a, as a, uh, is it a, what do they used to call them? Grenadier? What's a grenadier? I always like that term. Maybe more, is a mortarman a grenadier? A mortarman. Imagine that's the, that's the tube. Uh, not a lot of option, opportunities for that. But I'll tell you what, as, as someone who is an employer and has been an employer for a long time, um, the attributes that you've learned of um, honor, integrity, uh, teamwork, and, and, and also personal appearance, don't underestimate that of just having some self-respect. You know how to polish your shoes. You know how to go out and look like a proper man wearing proper clothing, conducting yourself, representing the company or the guys you work for in a positive manner, showing up for time, not being lazy, not shirking responsibilities, not being a coward. You know, that, the, the things that you learn from working with other people as well, teamship and dealing with you know very well, being in the Army, how to deal with very frustrating and low, poorly motivated people and how frustrating that can be, so that's not going to be a surprise to you. You're going to run into all these things in the civilian world as well. But as an employer, those qualities that I'm talking about are really becoming rare. Uh, and if you exhibit those and just carry those into the civilian world, that is going to make you stand out like a diamond uh, compared to the competition out there right now. So I would say so. I wouldn't sweat. You know, some guys lament, oh, I wish I would have got into the motor pool or I wish I would have got into truck driving or aircraft aviation, something that I could translate directly. Um, but that's, you know, that sometimes does and sometimes doesn't work. Sometimes it doesn't work at all because just, for example, the way that pilots are trained is very different in the military versus a civilian. You know, you can't just seamlessly go in. And, you know, I've worked with military trained pilots on wildland fires that were the worst, the worst at bucket drops, co contrasted with civilian pilots that were trained to, um, to do it not through the military, 
And to expand on the per perfect example is I was working, the last time I, I was directing aircraft on a fire was actually up at Fuji. And I had uh, tasked to me, I had two Blackhawks and a third that were military, National Guard choppers. And the third one I had was a female, uh, an Australian woman. And it was, I think it was a bell or something. It was a private, it was, it was like a news chopper type of thing. So I was running, I was running these three choppers, basically giving coordinates and, bring, and bringing them in on the radio where to drop. We were dropping uh, on hot spots and trees and, and such. And those Blackhawk pilots would do more turns. A turn is how long does it take to drop your Bambi bucket, go back to your water source, come back. That's, that's a full turn. These guys were faster on their turns, but they came in so fast and it may be their training, the way they, they were trained, because if you're flying into a, a, a hot landing zone where people are shooting at you and there's danger, do you want to loiter and hang out? I wouldn't. I'd be in there out as fast as humanly possible. Uh, one of the greatest anxiety-producing thoughts of my life would be hovering one of those giant, like especially like a Chinook, hovering one of those things in a combat zone, it being the most perfect an enticing target to every single person with a rifle while you're waiting uh, for medevac or guys to, to load up. I mean, that would be a very, that would take nerves of steel to do that. A shout out to combat pilots uh, who are able to do that because, man, that, that is not something that everybody could do. But these guys were great pilots, don't get me wrong, but they came in so, fat, so fast th that they would miss their drops. And, and they wouldn't pay, you know, they, they wouldn't correct it. They just, they were just, they were all about the turns, man, just burning and turning as many as they could get. And, but they were missing the target. So even though that they were doing more than this female pilot, they were having less effect. She, on the other hand, had not been trained that way, had never been trained to have to fly so fast or not loiter. And she hit every drop perfectly, took her twice as long. Uh, but we had good communication, and I much preferred working with her because of that reason. We were, we were having better results because of that. That was a very different type of training. So you would think that, well, the military pilot that goes directly into the fire service is obviously going to have an advantage over a civilian trained pilot, but that was not the case in that situation. So that's just kind of a story to, 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 to push that point. But you'll, you'll do fine. You do fine. And, you know, most people still have a very positive uh, opinion of soldiers, especially U.S. soldiers. Uh, I think most of us ident uh, have, can easily separate the good men and women that are there for the right cause, uh, separate that from poor, the poor leadership that you're suffering under uh, in businesses in the same way. So it's also going to give you an advantage um, by having that background. So shout out to, shout out to you, Ethan. I think you're going to do just fine. We have a super chat from Andrew K. and new member. Welcome, Andrew. Andrew writes, I'm trying to start the cold showers, but I have a pressure balance valve that stops it getting too hot or cold. Any way to fix that without replacing? Oh, your mixing valve doesn't get too cold. That's an interesting uh, problem. Um, man, do we have any plumbers in the house? Yeah, replacing the mixing valve would be a, would be kind of a bummer. Um, man, I haven't run into that. 
I just the first thought that comes to mind, and I was thinking, you know, you, you you could you could set up a temporary shower outside with just a garden, like you know those big uh, what do they call them, sunflower heads, like some gardeners use, where they they spray a lot of water out. Uh, you could you could rig one of those up outside too, if you have a deck or something, and just get a short hose, plug it up to the hose outside, and bypass that mixing valve. That would be an option as well. I don't know how I don't know your situation if that's even possible, but if it is, and so with summer coming on, you know you could do that. But I don't know, man. I haven't run across how, how you would fix that or, or change that without replacing the valve. So I think what he's talking about with modern appliances, they do a couple different things. Um, they have water restriction on them, so they don't flow as much. There's little restrictors in there. And, and a few years ago, you could get in there and pop those out, bypass them, and have normal flow. But now they've got, they're getting pretty clever, and they're building them in so well that you can't hardly get them out, and you're just stuck with the low flow, which is really a bummer. What they're, sounds like they're doing, and I didn't know, is that they're limiting the range of hot and cold. And that makes sense. You know, if your hot water heater's turned up too hot, and you have little kids, you know, they could get burnt or scalded on that. So you don't want that to go too extreme. But why they would limit the cold, I don't know. But that's a problem I have not ran into. We have a super chat from Stubby. Stubby's been with, with us for two months. He says, Cody, if you use chainsaw chaps when cutting, be aware that most chaps are not rated for electric chainsaws. They won't stop the chain the same way. I have heard that. I have heard that uh, on multiple occasions. I'll, uh, I'll look into that. Uh, and I'll report back on what I find. I think you're right. I think that's true. That's a good point. Yeah, and it has to do, um, is it with the torque? There's just so much more torque that it won't, the, the fibers. I guess what I don't know is, are there chaps designed for that? And if so, if you're going to run an electric chainsaw, that'd be something that I'd want to look at. You know, I'm not a safety sally. I did not grow up using chainsaw chaps. When, when I started using chainsaw chaps, my granddad came over who I used to cut firewood with, and I, I offered him a pair. There was a big tree that fell down that we were cutting up for firewood on the neighbor's place, and I offered him a pair, and he was in his 70s at that time, and he refused them. He said, no. He goes, no, they're, they're too hot. They sweat you. I said, they sweat you? He's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're too hot. They're, they're, they're too hot. They can't work with them. And it's true. They are really, really hot. I mean, they're, but they're also really warm in the wintertime. Um, but that, you know, he was just from that time. And I was from the time where we took off the, we took off the brakes off of them, you know, <laughs> because we were just, we don't do any stupid safety, the safety stuff. You know, they didn't have brakes on the old saws. Why am I going to deal with this? Pull them off. Pull them off and throw them away. You know, it's foolish when you think about it now. But I don't cut without those chainsaw shafts because I've dropped saws on my legs multiple times and been saved by those chaps. Um, I had a worker that we hired to do some landscaping. I insisted he put the chaps on. It wasn't two hours he dropped the chainsaw on those chaps. So I, I, you never talked me out of wearing them. So if, if that's the case with the electric ones, then I would, be, I would be about getting a pair of those. Plus, Mrs. W throws a fit if she sees me without them on. We have a, thank you for that, good, good point. We have a super chat from Dr. Prepper. Goodness, $50 from Dr. Prepper. Shout out to Dr. Prepper. Goodness, that's very generous. Thank you, brother. Rate my proho. Okay, so if you're joining us or new here, we're starting something where you give me, a, give me the facts of your preps, and I will give you a, a rating of a scale of 1 to 10 
of, of how sufficient your PROHO is. It's completely arbit arbitrary and according to my mood and your geography. Rate my PROHO 60 acres. That gives two points. Tractor, building a workshop, there's two. CCW, backup power, divorced, I give <laughs> getting cows in a few months, okay? 600 foot well, that's a deep one. Good water, AR-15, G-20, shotgun, build my own home, rebuild most autos, mechanical, medical skills, but still in California. California, that takes away two. Goodness, see, geography matters, uh, and that's a perfect example. Is it NoCal or SoCal? That's still California. You could never, you could never re reach above an 8.0 just by the fact that you live in California with the restrictions and the bans on the Second Amendment and the oppressive government. But what I'm seeing, 60 acres, tractor, deep water well, CCW, backup power, less dependence, more money to himself for, for doing what he wants to do, He's getting cows, getting livestock. I'm going to give you the maximum, Dr. Prepper, of eight. Now, if you lived in a more, a, a, a better, a more favorable geographical, if you had a more favorable geographical location, I'm going to have to put you up into the maybe the nine or the nine, you're probably a, a good solid nine, good solid nine, especially with your medical training and background, you would be very wel a very welcome neighbor up here in this valley, I'll tell you. Shout out to Dr. Prepper, man, that's a good one. You are doing it. Water filtration, one thing I would, one thing that I, one hole I would plug is I would get an option to get water out of that well off-grid. So you might look into the simple pump or something like it uh, and find out what your options are. And that's gonna be not impossible, it's a little bit of a challenge. 600 foot well, is that's very, very, very deep. And that's a lot of, of water lifting. Um, but if memory serves that simple pump, they have a, an option that will do that. And worst case scenario, if you don't want to hand crank it, just put the solar, the solar option on there and then it's, an, it's a non-issue. Non and then you'll be able to, you have to really consider this with your cows because cows, they don't care, man. They need to be watered regardless of conditions, whatever. It's hot, cold. 10 below, they need to be watered, and that's your responsibility. So if the power's cut, you don't have access to that or a running stream or creek, the simple pump gives you an option. You could hook up the simple pump, just like I did last year on, the solar, on two solar panels, and run a line out to a, to a trough, and that could come on, and that could keep that thing flowing and keep those cows watered, and you wouldn't even have to touch it. You could even, you could even sleep in on Sabbath morning and know that your cows are watered and you don't have to go out there. And uh, how do you put a value on that? Goodness. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Prepper. That was exceedingly generous of you. Goodness, we have a $50 super chat from Back Creek Homestead and one-year member. Goodness. Thank you, brother. That is an exceedingly generous super chat. Thank you very, very much. Goodness. Eleven years ago, I married a godly Tradcon gal. That's starting off well. Best thing I've done other than following Jesus. There you go. There you go. I can tell already that you're pro-ho. Today she finally submitted to me and took the day off to go shopping with a friend 
with the $1 I gave her. If we take responsibility, it makes submitting easy. Yeah, it, 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 it absolutely has. You, you know, that's a really good, that's a really good point, Bat Creek. One thing that I do not hit on enough is I, I, get, off, I get on these 304s, right? I, I'm, I've been hard on the ladies and maybe not as hard as, maybe not have put sufficient blame upon us as well. And I will own this right here. A lot of the reason that women have had to get into their masculinity and have had to become what they are, which is against their nature, is because men have not been leaders. And that if the men wouldn't, wouldn't engage, then the woman has no choice but to step up and to take on that role, that responsibility. Now, it would be wrong. I would be remiss in blaming a woman for doing that. They're only doing what they have to do. I want to make a very strong distinction between the ones that willfully get in their masculinity and want to fight and challenge and want to be men and live and act and move like men do. That's very different than one that is forced to out of necessity. So let's clarify that. We, if you want TradCon woman, you have to maintain it. A TradCon woman needs to be treated like a TradCon woman as well. She has to every day wake up and know that her man has got things handled. Makes it easy for her not to have to step up and get in her masculinity to get things done. So that's very important. That's a, that's a very good, that's, that's a very timely comment, Back Creek, um, and, and thought-provoking to me. That will change, that will change just the way you put that uh, will, will change kind of the way I look at things. Yeah, today she finally submitted to me and took the day off to go shopping with a friend with a $1 I gave her. Yeah, well, you don't want to you don't want to spoil them, so you don't don't uh, you can always uh, you can always uh, release, but you can never pull it back in. So, you were wise to start her off with a dollar. That way, she that way, if you were to give her two dollars next time, she'd be happy. Obviously, a wise man. We have a super chat from Mr. Overton Windex. $50, goodness, rate my proho, okay. <laughs> I rent. No, I understand it. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say, because of your particular skill set uh, that um, as uh, official Overwatch uh, for, the, for, the, for, the, uh, for proho, uh, I would start you off with a five right there. So you're starting... You're starting no worse than anyone else. You're, you're on average right there. And then I think we could probably bump that up a notch or two. You have a one wheel, so let's give that six. Um, your geography is definitely favorable, and that's, that's a point, as well as you have um, maintain, or built relationships with your neighbors, and you are plugged in, and you basically have kind of a city watch thing going on from what I understand. Uh, and you reload your own ammo, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of the good things going on there. And your past military experience. So you are somewhat challenged by the renting aspect of it, but that's a temporary condition. And we all know what, you've, what you have overcome and what you're dealing with. And uh, that's, that's just the way that it is. So I'm going to give Overton a 7.5. 
Uh, and as soon as he gets his own place, then we'll bump him up to a 9.5. Shout out to Overton. Thank you. Thank you, brother. That was very generous of you. Michigan man, Cliff. He's been with us for two months. He says, Proho. Oh, is this a rate my Proho? Here we go. Rate my Proho for Michigan man. Well, Michigan man. Now, we've had some trouble with Michigan man in the past. So you're already starting at a minus one. So you are going to have to overcome that. Not completely your fault, but you're just guilty by association. Michigan man has Tradcon Christian wife. Man, that might be worth three points. This is arbitrary, so don't be writing me how I rate things down and holding me to it. It just depends on how I feel. Equally yoked. Okay, there's three. Two kids, six figures with two jobs. Tractor, trailer, truck, side hustle. Man, having a side hustle, beloved, that is really gives big props in this environment. What that is is that's hedging your bets. A side hustle is not having all your eggs in one basket. How many dudes are going to be really, really scrambling and on the back foot if their single source of income evaporates overnight? Gone. Right? That, that's happening right now, especially with AI. It's taking people's jobs. Uh, that is a crisis. I mean, that's a terrible crisis. Most people are, are living paycheck to paycheck or, or don't have, you know, maybe, maybe two or three months they can cover their bills without inputs. And man, that's a stressor. But to have, like Michigan, man, to have that side hustle, even though it may not be producing as much or it's 25, 30% of what the main primary income source is, if it's a good side hustle, you all know, well, this could evaporate. Yeah, so what? Well, now I've got more time to dedicate to it. I'll get it back up. I'll get it back up, get it running, and get a second side hustle going. It's just not a problem. You're not acting out of desperation, and you'll sleep a lot better at night having that covered. If your side hustle just covers your basic bills, and you've got three months, six months, a year of food supplies, you've got an emergency fund to cover you three months, six months, you know, lo losing a job or having something like that evaporate is just, it's not, a, it's not the crisis that it is for everyone else. So that's a huge thing, especially in these uncertain times. Four acres, well water, 30 by 60 pole barn, stocked pond, chickens, freeze dryer, wood stove, firewood stacked, DDM4V7, and a G45. I have to say, I have, now we're only three days into Rate My Proho, but I have not seen a better a better rate my proho than this one. I'm trying to really trying to, to come up with a reason why I can't give you a 10 out of 10. But it comes back to geography. You've got those ticks up there and Lyme's disease. I don't like that. I'm going to give you Michigan Man Cliff a 9.5. And I'm only dinging you because you're Michigan Man. So shout out to Michigan man, and you're going a long way at redeeming yourself. But I have to say, you are killing it. Tradcon, Christian, equally yoked, two kids, six-figure income, two jobs, tractor, trailer, truck, side hustle. Hustle. That's a good one. That's my side hustle as well. Four acres. Four acres is a good size, real good size. Well water, 30 by 60, stocked pond. He can fish in his own pond. Can you? Freeze dryer. That's... that. That's a really pushes you up over the top. Wood stove, firewood stacked, DDM. Yeah. It's a 9.5. It's a no-brainer. Should be a 10. 
Shout out to Michigan, man. That's fabulous. Outstanding. Outstanding. We have a new member, Mr. Eric Robertson. Shout out to you, Eric. And Gamer Dave for $125. My goodness. I have to, we have to celebrate. What can we do? Do I have a horn? <laughs> a bell? <laughs> Overton, you have to help me come up with some way we can celebrate these, uh, these incredible super chats. My goodness. Thank you, Gamer Dave. That's just beyond over the top. Goodness. Gamer Dave says, thank you for the reply. Great job to your mods, Cody. If there's any way you can split this one with your mods, please do much. Please do much respect and God bless. I'll tell you what I will do is that um, we're setting up, working with Overton. You know, he was instrumental in getting the body armor and stuff. We got to do some stuff on and tried to get that stuff out to those guys. Um, in the future, we're going to try to do more of that. Um, if you know companies, good companies that are American companies that are doing things that they could benefit ProHo, reach out to them. Uh, contact us or give me a, a number or over to the number. We'll reach out. We'll help with their products. You know, we're not, I, I'm not going to be charging everyone for this. You know, if someone's got something that's really awesome and they're a small business, and they don't have a great budget. Yeah, if they want to send some pro product, I just ask, send a few extras. That way we can kick them, kick them down to the middlemen to, to, as a thank you to all the hard work that they put in. I'd like to see them get that stuff. And there's even been, there was even extra leftover uh, that that will go out to uh, the members as well. Uh, we were able to, Overton and the guys, I think, got some stuff out to the Big Fizz group as well. And that was just the first time of the initial run, but we have a, a plan, a system for doing it. Um, I have a, a big collection box here as things come in. Most of these things I've always just given away. Um, I just I got too much junk and too much stuff gets sent here. Um, we'll box it up until it's a good size. I send it to Overton, and then he uh, deals it out according to um, how it should go. So yeah, that, we're doing that, and I will um, I, I will certainly continue to do that. Thank you, Gamer Dave. Man, goodness, yeah, it, we have an extraordinary group here. We're very very fortunate. There's no question, no question, that the Almighty is working. You know, the good book tells us God promises that, that whenever two or three are gathered together in my, my name, then I am there also. There's a special, it's a special time. There's a special blessing for those that are, are, are here. Uh, the, the, the Spirit of, law, of the Lord is here with us. Whenever two or three are together, and there are certainly more than two or three gathered here, uh, and this is not necessarily a, a church service or a sermon. I'm not going to go down that road, but it's not nothing. And it is the, you know, as, as we just read, you know, of Michigan man. Um, or no, maybe a couple back, you know, he said some, maybe it wasn't Michigan man, but next to the best thing that ever happened to me, meeting and marrying my Tradcon woman, was being able to have a relationship with, with, with my Lord, with my Savior. And, you know, that's, that's really, that's the underpinning of the whole thing. You know, there's sometimes... I'll talk about these things more on live stream than, than other times. And it's not because I'm shying away from anything, or it's, but it just flows as it flows. If, someone, if, if that's on my heart, if that's on you guys' heart, if, if that's what the Spirit moves, if there's someone out there that needs to hear something or I need to be, consider something, how many times have comments come in that have, that have changed uh, everything? 
changed the whole tenor of the live stream and redirected it. You know, these things come from God, the, these urgings. This is how the, the Holy Spirit works. We're here, we're all equals at this table. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. There's a lot of wisdom. There's a lot of smart men in this group. There's a lot of God-fearing men in this, this group. And we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom is found here. Truth is going to be found here. And that's what we want. So whatever it's appropriate, we'll cover those things. You know, we, we never shy. There's, there's nothing off the table here. We have a very generous super chat from our friend Alex Milburn. Thank you, Alex. Goodness. Alex writes, my girlfriend and I broke up on Monday. She cl claims she lost physical attraction after two months. However, many things out of, the, out of our control happened. The week she claimed she lost attraction, she stopped birth control. She got her period, and she got a, few, a fever over 103. While the relationship was new, I truly love her, loved her, and I still want to attract her. What do you think I should do? There's not much you can do, you know, really. You're... The best thing for you to do is going to be the, the, the thing you don't want to do, and that is to grovel. Um, you may have already messed it up. Here's my experience with, with um, as a former Chad, here's my experience with this situation. I don't know what brought this about. Hormonal, these hormonal things with women are, are, are deep waters, they're hard to understand. But nine times out of ten, there's someone else, or she thought she could do better, or, or that sort of thing. Or, you know, it could be an SHIT test as well. When a woman comes to you and says, I'm not attracted to you anymore, I don't want to be with you, she's been thinking this for a long, for a long time. She's been faking it and just going along with it, keeping her options over keeping your options open. What, one thing that they typically do, they don't typically foul their nest before they have another nest to go into. So they will go through the motions and they will pretend everything's fine and then this, this will just come out of the blue and hit you like a hammer in the head. Like, where did this come from? I thought everything was fine. Well, you did, but she didn't. She's been working and scheming about this for a long time. So, she, so her resolve is probably stronger than you think. If you, th if you thought that this just came out of nowhere, and um, if, it, if it came out of nowhere, then I should be able to easily talk her back into it. That's not the case. So understand that right there. The moment a woman does this, the best thing you can do, and I hope you haven't done under, undermined this, is uh, to just say, okay. Like, you're not affected whatsoever. That will absolutely rock her world. She's expecting you to beg. She's expecting you to cry. She's expecting you to, to make deals, you know, whatever. They, and and that, that, the more that you pursue and the more that you put yourself in that position, the less effect you're going to have on her. It's actually going to hurt your cause. The absolute best, because that's what she's expecting. If you were to say nothing... And, okay, well, uh, then uh, you need to be out by such and such time and, and, or you paid rent for here. You know, just be very practical, practical about it. She's gonna, that's going to mess her up. She, that is not the expectation she was thinking, and now it puts you in the driver's seat. She was thinking that when a, w women typically want what they can't have. 
That's why the bad boy, that's why they're often attracted to, to men that treat them terribly. Like, it's mystifying to a lot of people. Like, oh, you know, I, I did the flowers and I was opened the door and the chivalry and milady and all that stuff, and, and it doesn't work, you know. Everything that my dad told me to work, and these girls, it doesn't work. But this guy that's a jerk who treats her terribly, they're all, they, he, you know, he can't shake him off with a stick. You know, that, I don't know. That's just the way that it is. <laughs> That's the way that the, the Western woman, woman moves. Uh, so the best thing you could do is just uh, remove emotions and just say, well, okay, uh, this is your time and uh, get it, be out and don't be angry. Don't name call. Just be absolutely blasé about it and, and go out. If you can go out with your friends and just live your life more, more and do more things uh, on, that's not involving her, that's your best chance if you want it. Now, that's up to you. You have to determine if you want it or not. But it may be too late. If you made a big fit and have fuss about it and um, cried and complained, uh, you may have done too much damage. Yeah, I don't know why it is that way, Alex, why, why, why they respond the way that they do, but they do. That's just what they do. Bless them. We don't hate on them. <laughs> just, the way they're, just the way they're made. And I, I don't know. Thank you for that, though. Yeah, it's tough, man. That's tough. We've all, everyone here, everyone here in this group, I'm willing to bet, has, has, has been through this. And those breakups when you're young, those first loves, those are, those are the hardest ones, man. That pair bonding when you're young is very powerful, very strong. I hope you do. I hope hope it works out for you, though, Alex. Thank you. And we have a super chat from our friend Back Creek Homestead. Just to set the record straight, she got a hundred dollars. I know she got a hundred dollars. I know that. You do the same thing. Hyperbole is what we call it. You do the same thing that I do. Mrs. W's taken on to doing something. It's so funny. I prefer my woman to not wear pants. Now, this is not a religious thing. Not, I'm not like, not like the, the Mennonites. Or I'm not talking about prairie dresses and bonnets and all these things. But I think, it seems to me anyway, and I, I, I have scripture to back me up on this, that men should dress like men and women should dress like women. There should not be a blurring of the lines. So, Mrs. W is a very strong, uh, intelligent, willful individual, but she's also a, tra a tradcon, so she submits to her husband. And she never takes offense at these things. And it, it, it wasn't something that started out. You know, she, I remember she used to wear jeans and, and 501s when we worked out in the garden a lot, and we used to go out and do stuff on it. But anymore, if she's with me, and when she goes out in general, she's either in a skirt or in a dress. And you would be amazed at how much attention this gets from other women. Every time she goes out, whenever she comes back, either a friend or acquaintance or even a lot of strangers will ask, will comment. Uh, and if they see her more than once, like the librarian, for example, see her coming in multiple times to the library, will ask her, I, I notice that you're always in dresses. She calls it her skirt or dress ministry. And it opens the door. Why do you wear, why is it that you do that? You know, we don't see women do that so much. We don't see women wearing beautiful feminine clothing like that, not you know, trying to look like a man or, or a slut. 
And she says, well, I wear a dress because my, my husband prefers it. <laughs> you know, she, she just leave, leaves it right there. And that hangs heavy, you know, especially if she's dealing with a feminist. Like that almost makes their heads explode. You know, if someone, if they react negatively, then that's the only answer that they get. And they go home mad and seething and whatever that they do. But if they can get past that and, and ask a follow-up question, um, then she will um, expand upon that. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're a traditional couple, and, and um, I love my husband, and I like to do things that please him. I like to make the food that he enjoys. I like to wear the clothing that he enjoys. And she enjoys it as well. I, I'm not, we're not talking about making her put on uh, some uh, prairie dress and bonnet, uh, you know, because, of some, because I'm controlling or something. No, a woman should look beautiful. It's very important to women, to women that they look pretty for their men. So I, I, I'm all about supporting them, giving them the resources that they need within reason to buy nice clothing and, and have things that they feel confident and beautiful in. And, and you know, I'm not opposed to a, a woman's hair is important to her and the waist, you know, so she needs products for that or to go have it colored or what have you. You know, I don't have an issue with that whatsoever. Um, you know, because I understand with her, it's not being done for vanity. Well, it may be. We all, we're all, we're all vain. Let's not go there. But it's not being done for attention seeking for other men. It's being done because she's trying to look beautiful for her man. So I get it. I get it. The hyperbole. I know you didn't give her a dollar. Hundred dollars is good. All right. Well, that was great, Ben. I really appreciate that. Thank you. For, thank you guys for hanging out. It was a very. Uh, I enjoyed the the live stream. Lots of fun today. It's Thursday. Tomorrow is uh, Friday. It'll be the last day of the week. And that will bring in the Sabbath, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. So I'll get something cool up for you members, too. I'll try to bring you along on any adventures that are coming up. There are going to be adventures coming up. The snow is melting. It snowed three inches yesterday, and we woke up this morning, and it's all gone. So winter has got its claws dug in deep, but it's starting to lose, release its grip, and I cannot wait to get up there on that mountain with the chainsaws. All right. Well, thank you, beloved. Please keep me in your prayers. Make sure those of you who participated in the 24-hour fast yesterday, make sure you eat well tonight. Uh, have, have a steak on me, and, uh, and I'm proud of you guys for doing that. That's uh, hard to do. Definitely hard to do. All right. Well, may God bless all of you, especially our moderators. Thank you for your help. Thank you for all the very generous super chats. We thank you for the time that you dedicate hanging out with us. And uh, I sure enjoy it. May God bless all of you. We'll see you all on the next video.